Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome, Auburn, into this Thursday edition of Sports Call Live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan LaVoy, and I'm the host of this show. Today I've got Brant Daughtry and Brooks Childress with me on this full edition of Sports Call, and a lot to talk about as the Sweet 16 starts up tonight. The NCAA tournament resumes. We'll give you a preview of the four games on tap for tonight's action. We'll also continue to talk a little bit about Something we've got some calls about this week about Auburn's roster management with with Auburn basketball, who we think we will, will be back, who we think might be transferring or, or would behoove them to transfer, who might test NBA draft waters. We'll give our thoughts on what Auburn's roster management might look like in the coming weeks and months. We'll also give you a little bit of a preview of the Atlanta Braves. We are now seven days away from opening day for the Braves in Major League Baseball. Of course, you can listen to all the games all year long on 1230 WAUDAM. And so we're excited to get ready for another baseball season. We'll also reveal this week's Player of the Week. All of your phone calls on the Auburn Bank phone line at 334-887-3401 locally, toll-free 1-889-TIGER-9. Birthdays in sports and a nightly TV guide all on tap for this Thursday edition of Sports Call. Again, Ryan LaVoy, Brant Daughtry, and Brooks Childers. Brooks, we'll start with you. Welcome to the program for the week. Hope you've had a good week so far. It's been a good week, yeah. It, it feels like it's been a while since I've uh, said words into the, one of these microphones in the studio. So uh, glad to be back on. Um, glad my, uh, my hiatus from the show is done for a day, and then I'll be gone again. Um, but it's, it's been a fun sports week, obviously. Um, not a fun sports week for the Auburn fan base coming off that uh, loss on Saturday night to Houston. Uh, but they did get a win in the tournament last week, last Thursday, against those Iowa Hawkeyes. And uh, were able to get a win in the tournament, which is, is a you know, a, I think a lot of people didn't even pick that to happen. A lot of people were, were thinking that Iowa was going to come out and win that basketball game. But, um, you know, they, they did get a win. And now they're in, we're into the offseason. We get to focus solely on – uh, what's going to happen here, uh, as you brought up, with who's going to stay, who's going to leave uh, from this basketball program. We get to talk a little bit about high, uh, not high school, uh, spring football uh, now in full swing. And we, you know, kind of as you led into the tournament with Auburn still in it, really not a lot of attention was paid uh, except for, you know, the quarter, a lot of people talked about the quarterbacks, uh, that, that that's to be expected around any sort of uh, any sort of college football is what, what about the quarterbacks and you know, like you said, the Braves getting started up here next week, one week from today. Had a spring training game today against the Mets. Tied that one 2-2 two to two in, in, uh, in the end. Um, we've had a couple of spring training games over on our sister station, AM 1230 WAUD, over the past month uh, on the weekends. And so this weekend's no different. You're going to have two this weekend. You're going to have a Saturday game and then 
Uh, Sunday's game is actually going to be the the Braves Radio Network's first full broadcast of the of the season. So you'll get a full pregame, full postgame uh, show for that one, and so that that'll be fun to be able to listen to uh, the guys over on the Braves Radio Network be back. But of course, as always, can't wait to talk to all of our callers today about anything they want to talk about too. Brant Daughtry also on the show. We got to listen to him on Tiger ninety five point nine yesterday. Start the Smith Station softball. Uh, season for us i know that they've played about half their season already but getting uh, our coverage underway it was good to hear you on that brent good to have you on the show again today yeah man it's good to be back on the show and it was good to go out and call some high school softball yesterday got to hang out with walter northcutt for a couple hours which haven't done that since basketball season and that's always a great time so uh uh, glad to get back out there and and getting after it and yeah i'm really looking forward to talking about you know basketball the future of basketball the future of the braves as they get set to to get their new season underway now you're two years removed from that world series and you're kind of you're kind of going all right well that was great and last year we got to celebrate it but when's the next one coming so that's kind of the mentality that i I feel like atlanta's playing with right now so uh a a great we're kind of in a lull right now but the good news about being in a lull is that you get to talk about what just came before and what comes next you have hope uh for the future uh regardless of what you what happened a, a little bit ago so uh, a lot to talk about today, and I'm looking looking forward to it. Absolutely. We might have a note or two on spring ball as well, as uh, more quotes from the media uh, or, or, or from Hugh Freeze and, and, and to the media, so some players earlier this week. And then also Auburn baseball starting another series in the SEC tonight, and I'll tell you, we'll tell you a little bit why uh, that one is an important one for the Tigers uh, with Butch Thompson's club. So uh, a lot to do today. Let's start off with, though, something that, again, uh, as I mentioned a moment ago, we've, we've gotten a couple questions about this week, and, and it's going to be a fascinating discussion uh, as we as we move through the next few weeks and months with everything in the portal. Of course, we spent a lot of time back in the fall talking about the college football transfer portal, uh, and that will be a year-round process, and, and, and certainly each year there will be uh, big-time portal guys, and, and there will be a lot of discussion. We're starting to see a couple guys for Auburn football hit the portal. But in college basketball, it is also just as important and maybe even more important in some cases when you start to factor in that you can literally build half a team from the portal in one season uh, and, and have most of your guys that end up playing for you be from the portal in one season. So it only takes four, five, or six to – greatly influence the the entirety of the team maybe you can argue as low as just a couple players can greatly influence a team so when we look at this Auburn basketball roster it's important to note that there is a a chance there is a at least a fundamental it does not have to be this way where Auburn could still have essentially most of their key contributors from this year's team, this year's team on next year's team. The the only guy that played a decent amount of minutes that has to be gone is Zepp Jasper. Uh, he is out of eligibility. He is done with college basketball. There are guys that were seniors, or there are guys that uh, have have been in college a while that could opt to go to the next chapter of life. That could opt to try and carve out a professional career overseas or maybe in the G League. And then there are guys that might want one last opportunity somewhere else. But this team does not have to greatly change. Now the question becomes, do you feel it needs to greatly change? So we'll start there. We'll, we'll st- stay away from the individuals yet. How much change do you guys feel is necessary from a team that ultimately did make the tournament 
won 20 plus games, but never really got through to too many big wins and never felt like a, a threat to make deep runs either throughout the SEC or the NCAA tournament. I don't know if this team needs to greatly change, but the, the fact is you you missed, like you pointed out, you missed some some games this year because you didn't have at least one guy. You, you know, you didn't have the difference maker. And that's the change that's going to come. Now, where that comes from, th- there's a lot of options. The transfer portal is absolutely booming for college basketball right now at this moment. Um, you've got Aiden Holloway coming in for next year. He's going to get some run at the point guard position. I'm really interested to see how it all shakes out. I don't think this team needs to, like the starting, f- I think three of your starting five can come back, and I don't care which three, you know, but I think three of your starting five can come back. Obviously, like you said, Jeb- Zeb Jasper is gone. He's 25 years old. He's going to go do something different. Um, but I-, I don't think you need to completely re- restart your rotation. You don't need to completely build this team from the ground up. But changes are going to happen, and I'm interested to see Bruce Pearl's not going to force anybody out the door, but he may go, hey, man, you're going to have a better opportunity elsewhere. He may go, hey, man, you can stay, but it's going to be in a bench role like he did with Katie Johnson this year. Uh, I, I'm, I'm interested to see moving forward what guys go of their own volition, what guys Bruce goes out and recruits over their heads, and, and what guys are going, yeah, I, I'm comfortable taking a smaller role or an even bigger role. You know, And I know you said let's not get into specifics yet, but – I do want to point out one guy. Jalen Williams is a guy who is super talented, can score in bunches, and this year, like it just felt like the the light never clicked. He doesn't realize exactly how good he is. With another year at Auburn, I think he could be a guy who takes a step forward. Who is in your starting five? And I, I don't know how many of the guys in this starting five can do that, but I think Jalen Williams is one of those guys, and I'm interested to see the specific decision that he himself makes. Yeah, I don't. I don't think this team needs to change drastically um I, I think you still need to center your guys around uh, a guy like Janai Broom um I, I you know I, I don't know I have no inkling of who could leave I know you know two guys that were brought on to the uh into the well three guys that were brought all three guys that were brought into the the media room after the Saturday loss to Houston was Zepp Jasper Alan Flanagan and Jalen Williams and obviously, as, as you pointed out, Ryan, uh, Zepp Jasper, uh, no eligibility left, so he he will be moving moving on. But the question was asked to the all you know the two other guys in there, and Alan Flanagan and Jalen Williams both said, you know, you know, we haven't even thought about it. We're gonna you know have to go and talk to our families and everything, see what we want to do. And so those are two guys that could could move on. Um, I know both of them have uh, I, th- I think have a COVID year left. Um, and so they, they could come back. You know, you never know what, uh, where their guys could leave. I think what you need, if you're Bruce Pearl, is you need to go out and you need to find a scorer. Um, you need to find a you need to find some three point shooting as well, or you know try to develop that in the off season. But you know a lot of these guys have been here for a couple years now, so I don't know how much better the three point shooting is going to get in one off season uh, of work. But I, I think those are the two big needs: is you need a you need a scorer. You need a guy that you can get the ball to uh, anytime you're down the court and say, okay, go get us a bucket. And you're, yeah, because you've got a guy that can get a stop on the other end. You've got a Janai Broom who can get up and get a, get a stop on the defensive end. 
Um, and on, you know, on some on some possessions, you can Jani Broom's also a guy that you can go down and say, "Hey, get me get me two points," and he's going to do it. He's been working on that three point shot as well. So, you, you know, if he's open, you can hit a three. But I think you need a, a guy that can every time you're down the court, you can have the option to say, "Hey, go get me a bucket." He, he can get a bucket, and then I think you know three point shooting because that's that was the thing that we've seen this Bruce Pearl team live and die by over a few years, and it you know there was just, they had to adjust this year because there was just wasn't. You know the the three point shooting that we've seen in the past few years from from anybody on the court, uh, but I, I think those are the the two biggest needs right now is is a score and a and a three point shooting. So I think that overall uh, we we don't have to see a drastic change in this roster or a drastic change in the team, but there is one element of this team that I think is pretty clearly needs to change pretty drastically, and that is the ability to shoot. Uh, they by really almost every number, uh, were not just a, a meh shooting team. They were a poor shooting team. So from the field this year, they were 44%, 43.9 to be exact. That's 220th in college basketball. So their two-point percentage was, was the better part of it. Their two-point percentage was 188th in college basketball. Three-point, they shot 31.5% this year. They got a little better throughout SEC play. That was still 320th in the country out of roughly 364 teams. And then free throw shooting, they were 265th in the country, uh, just under 70%. So they were bottom third, really, in every single shooting quality except for just two-point percentage. Their overall field goal percentage, three-point percentage, free throw percentage were all bottom third or worse in the country. So – to me, that tells you you've got to have more efficient guard play, more efficient perimeter play. It's kind of unfortunate for Auburn. We've, we've talked about – I think I heard Brant and Tom talk about this on Monday uh, when I was out about you know Auburn's plan for if some guys had not quite been one and done's, how that could have gelled a, a more dynamic roster uh, This uh, for, for last year. Even last year's team, which was already awesome, but maybe into this year as well. And don't forget a couple of the guys that transferred that ended up either were players that could have fit well on this roster or maybe got a little bit better. Uh, people have mentioned Devin Cambridge, but also throughout, I know it was a sore end to his Auburn career, but someone like Justin Powell would have helped this team incredibly. Uh, he still, I, I know he did not play much at Tennessee last year, but he went to Washington State this year. And again, I, I understand uh, he has been wanting to transfer all the time, but you know, still shot uh, 42.5% from three this year on five and a half attempts a game. I mean, I mean, Auburn could have, have killed for something like that. Uh, and so that's what I'm talking about. I, I, they, they need to add somebody uh, at the two-guard position, just any guard position, that is capable of being near a 40% uh, three-point guy because, again, as a team, they were 320 out of 364 and I, I to Auburn's credit I think they understood that they were not a good shooting team they did a pretty good job of not jacking up a bunch of them uh in, in the vast majority of games but I still think the best Bruce Pearl teams you've seen both at Auburn and at Tennessee are teams that are really good shooting because they're also really good in transition and they they destroy people with getting out running and then making you pay with three not two and so when you've got really an entire backcourt of guys that are not shooting the ball well, uh, then it's harder to destroy people in transition. It, it, look, you can 
one of the the slight criticisms you can have of a Bruce Pearl teams is that when they get bogged down the half court, they can have some problems. That teams that have been able to make Auburn into half court teams, even in successful Auburn years, have been a lot better than than get, letting them get out and run and going quickly. And so when you have teams that are not uh, as good at the three ball, well, then transition becomes a little less deadly at that point. And then you're kind of reverting back to, okay, you got to find ways to be better in the half court. Again, we know some of these numbers, but three-point-wise this year, Auburn had five guys that took two or more a game. And one shot 29.5%, one shot 28.5%, Two shot exactly 33.3, and then Jalen Williams shot the best at 35.4 of guys that took at least two threes a game. 35 is fine, but when it's your best, it's not fine. And, and so that is, to me, what is going to have to drastically change uh, with whatever happens this offseason. Now, look, there's also other things. Look, you can find a better uh, role-playing big to go alongside Janai Brew, someone uh, backing him up or someone uh, getting decent minutes at four or five. Uh, I, I think that you could, you're, you're going to have to find someone that plays pretty good perimeter defense now that Zepp is gone. Uh, if someone like Wendell is back, he obviously gives good effort, but there's still certain matchups that are going to get him because of his size. So I think Auburn will have to investigate a, a three and D type of guard. So those are some of the, the, the general things I'm looking at. We will have further discussions uh, later in this show and later uh, in this month about some of the individuals. Uh, but for now, we got to take our first time out of the show. When we come back, we'll go to the Auburn Bank phone line for the first time today. Stay tuned. More Sports Call coming up after this. Stay tuned. You're listening to the multi-time Abbey Award-winning Sports Call. I'm Britt Bowen, voice of Auburn women's basketball and Auburn softball. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call on this Thursday. Ryan LaVoy, Brian Daughtry, and Brooks Childress. Fun conversation just a second ago about Auburn basketball and their roster management. I, I find roster management exciting. Uh, I, the prospect of, of new players, whether your team was good or bad the year before, just always excites me. My dream growing up was to be a general manager and, and having control of a roster. And uh, even though that this is not a salary-capped type of deal, uh, that college still operates much differently than, than the pros in roster management. Roster management and turnover just fascinates me in general. So we will continue to have those conversations moving forward. 
But for now, let's go to the Auburn Bank phone line for the first time today, 334-887-3401 locally, toll-free, one triple eight nine tiger 9 First up on the show today, James from Montgomery. James is with us. James, how are you doing? Hello? Hey, James, we got you now. Yeah, uh, War Eagle, sorry about that. No, all good. Yeah, because I know that y'all were talking about uh, if you were like a general manager for an NFL team, I can relate to that as well. If I was a general manager for my Dallas uh, Cowboys, I'll probably keep uh, Dak Prescott, and I'll just have to see who we might take on the on the draft boards and uh, seeing um, where where that um, prospect would come from. It might come from Oklahoma, Texas, Nebraska, uh, Florida. I'm pretty sure it might come from Georgia, from the Georgia um, Bulldogs as well. With uh, you know, with uh, Kirby Smart being you know, a national championship uh, coach that he is, I'll probably look at some uh, some contenders from that uh, university as well. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be a lot of players drafted from Georgia, uh, There's especially defensive players, and really a bunch of SEC guys just in general. So teams looking for top talent, they usually look at the SEC. There's a lot of schools that produce a lot of players, and – I think teams in general are pretty wise to look at the SEC for some pros. Yeah, because I know um, I've been looking at uh, where Bryce Young is actually going to play for the NFL, and I'm thinking that Bryce Young would actually um, actually throw his dart at um, Carolina, you know, with the Carolina Panthers, because I think that would be a good fit for him as well. And uh, I see the Carolina Panthers actually uh, making it to the Super Bowl this year as well or making it to the playoffs. Either way, wherever wherever the wherever the needle may land for the Carolina Panthers as well. Yeah, I think a respectable goal for the Panthers would just to be trying to compete for a playoff spot first after uh, they, they got much better in the second half of last year but still very over, uh, overall a very weak division. And, and just, just by winning it does not uh, guarantee the, the winner there is a, a – Super Bowl contenders we saw last year. So uh, I think they'll just uh, try and get one of those rookie quarterbacks, be patient with them, and uh, let the chips fall where they may. Yeah, because I know a lot of people are like a lot of fantasy football owners, you know, for fantasy football season right around the corner as well. For the uh, mock drafts, I mean, a lot of people are always asking, like, you know, a lot of other uh, fantasy football owners that own like a fantasy football team, they're asking me, do you think you're going to like when the season actually starts, do you think you might starting? They're asking me, you know, if I'm going to start Bryce Young, I'm like, no, I'm not going to put Bryce Young, you know, in my, in my starting lineup because one, he's, he can be injury prone for one. And two, he's very slow on throwing or, you know, getting out of the pocket. So those two would be a no and a no for me on that. Well, I mean, maybe there are some injury concerns there. Uh, I, I know he was banged up once or twice at Alabama, but still overall, I, you know, just being smaller, I don't think is necessarily enough to be too worried about it. Now, I, I do think he's got some great escapability. I think the way he's able to extend plays uh, and, and be able to wait to the last moment and then still make a good decision even at the last moment. 
So uh, while he might not straight line speed-wise be like a Lamar Jackson or anything, I, I think that he's still uh, very agile in the backfield and is able to, to buy, buy himself some times to make good plays. Yes, because I know um, a lot of times when I'm actually looking at, um, when I'm actually picking good players for my fantasy football, I'm looking at if they're going to have uh, escapability, um, agility, and, um, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of, um, uh, grit and grind to, to actually have those, uh, along those lines as well. Yeah, certainly takes a lot to, to get hit in the NFL, and sometimes you got to hang in the pocket, take a big hit, and still deliver a, a big throw. What else you got on your mind today, James? Well, I actually, with March Madness, with uh, college basketball, what if, I was just thinking about this the other day, and I was just thinking with March Madness for this month, what if the college football season had March Madness next year as well. So you want like a a 64-team tournament or something? Yes, I was just, you know, thinking like that. And I was like, okay, we know I know that we have the March Madness 64 uh, tournament teams with, you know, with all the colleges that we are watching now. But what if college basketball went from college basketball to college football and put those college teams that we actually root for on a Saturday, what if they are actually being played like on a Monday or on a Tuesday or on a Wednesday and then Thursday, Friday, Saturday would be like, you know, the thirty, the round of 32 and see uh, what teams would actually make it to a championship game in Atlanta. That would be really nice for something to happen like that. I think you would have been good friends with uh, with the late, great Mike Leach. Mike Leach wanted a, a 64-team playoff to come to college football. Unfortunately, I don't think we're ever going to get to that level. Now, we obviously are going to see it expand here coming up and it's going to going to be up to 12 teams and it one day might get a little bigger than that but i i don't think it's ever going to get up to uh the the 64 that we see in march madness and also just you know beyond some of the issues like player safety and, and competitiveness uh-huh. and all that remember you know we we have about 130 college football teams but we have over 350 college uh-huh. basketball teams so that that's part of the reason why that is a bigger tournament Yes, because I know with the uh, college football, uh, with next year in 2024, with Texas and Oklahoma actually going from the Big 12 and the Big uh, the Big 12 um, bracket, if they leave those, if they leave that bracket, are I know they're coming to the SEC. So, what teams would Texas and Oklahoma replace? I'm looking at like maybe um, Alabama and LSU to replace, like LSU could replace, Texas can replace LSU, and Oklahoma can replace Alabama. So that way I would like to see Auburn and Oklahoma play for like a a Iron Bowl or like the Red River rivalry as well, or maybe like a smaller uh, rivalry game as well. Yeah, so James, I I have to say that's not quite how it works. Those, those rivalries are named that because of the of both teams playing, not just because 
uh, of one team, the Red River rivalry is always going to be Oklahoma versus Texas, and the Iron Bowl is always going to be Auburn versus Alabama. Now, with Oklahoma and Texas coming into the league, no one is leaving the league. The, the SEC is expanding. They're, they're bringing in two more teams, and they're not kicking anyone out. So it's going to be a 16-team league. They're going to change the way they do their scheduling across most, most and all of the sports. Uh, but Oklahoma and Texas are not replacing anyone. They're just being added to what's already here. Okay. Because, like, with the rivalry games that we've actually had over over 150 years of college football, um, some of the rivalries that that stand in the test of time, like Navy, Army, or uh, Oklahoma and Texas, Alabama, Auburn, Georgia, Georgia Tech, Florida, Florida State, um, you know, those, those rivalries, they they actually have a, a huge um, relationship with college football in the history of, um, of the rivalries that, that produced the college football, um, you know, history that we produce as fans as well. I very much agree with you. Yeah, because, I mean, with, like, for example, like Auburn and Alabama playing every year, I mean, it could be one year in Auburn, next year in Alabama, in Tuscaloosa. Then it, uh, it graduates back and forth. And when I look at that, I think that should be – I mean, for fans from both sides, I mean, that's kind of – like the schools are so far apart, but can they, like, play like in Atlanta or, like, maybe in the near future, can they play it like in Birmingham in Legion Field, you know, where it originally uh, grew out as well? Yeah, I mean, it, it did used to be in Birmingham, but that was also before uh, on-campus stadiums were, were as large as they are now. And, and, and now that you've got these great on-campus stadiums and, and you make all this revenue, you're not splitting revenue and any of that, I, I, I can't fathom it going back to a neutral site. They're having conversations in the Florida-Georgia rivalry right now because that is a neutral site game played in Jacksonville. <laughs> And, and I can it starts it's starting to seem like both athletic directors might be starting to push that towards not being neutral site anymore. It's just too valuable uh, to not be played at, at a home stadium every other year. So so we'll see. Uh, but but certainly with the Iron Bowl, no that that's going to continue to be alternating just between Tuscaloosa and Auburn. Yeah, because I mean I really do like the history of that rivalry and. Uh, seeing a lot of uh, great things over the years, seeing uh, some of the great players from both sides, seeing uh, Bo Jackson's uh, great iconic uh, highlights, um, Bo over the top or um, Chris Davis doing the kick six. And I was actually there in uh, 2013 to actually uh, get a chance to actually see that moment as well. And that was one of the iconic moments that will – um, that will stand in my heart for the test of time as well. Absolutely. I think a lot of Auburn fans would agree with you. Any uh, any more thoughts for us, James, today before we let you go? Any trivia or anything? Um, No, not for today, but maybe tomorrow. Okay, what kind of trivia would you like tomorrow? Um, I would actually have to say mm, I'll probably get, like, uh, movie trivia. Movie 80s trivia. Movie. Yeah, 80s uh, classic uh, action movie trivia. Whoa, okay, that's getting... 80s action movie trivia. Okay, all right. All right. We will do that for you. 
All right. Sounds good. And War Eagle, talk to y'all guys tomorrow. Sounds good. War Eagle, James. That is James from Montgomery joining us on the Auburn Bank phone line. I'm a big movie guy. 80s action movies, though. Any uh, any good ones come to mind right now? 80s action movies? Um, I could give you 80 hor- uh, 80s horror movies because is- that was a great, great time period for the Halloweens and the Friday the 13ths and uh, Nightmare on Elm Streets. But, uh, Die Hard? 88. 80, okay, good. It's also a Christmas movie, though. Uh, okay, well, we're not going to start that debate. I'm just going to... It's not a debate. Send it to break right now. No, I'm just going to send it to break right now. <laughs> uh, when we come back, more sports call. We'll take more of your phone calls on the Auburn Bank phone line. Also, birthdays and sports coming up. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call. a timeout. Sports Call will be back after this quick break. Follow Sports Call on Twitter at Sports Call AU. Like us on Facebook at Sports Call AU. Welcome back to Sports Call on this Thursday. Beautiful, warm Thursday afternoon. Tiger 95.9, Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, and Brant Daughtry. All right, let's go right back to the Auburn Bank phone line. 334-887-3401 locally. Toll free, one 9 tiger 9 Next up on the show today. Ward Damn Steve. Retire Ward Damn Steve joins us. Steve, how are you doing? Hey, it's almost Friday, so how, how else could I be feeling but good, right? Absolutely. It's a, a beautiful day. All right, guys. How's, uh, how's your day been going? Can't uh, complain. A little busy, but uh, we're making it. You're making it? Okay. So I know it's you, Ryan, Brent, and who else? And uh, Brooks. And Brooks. Okay, Brooks. Yes, sir. Uh, all right. Gentlemen, I've not read anything lately, nor have I heard anything from you guys, but I'm wondering about Miss Suni Lee. I know she hasn't been participating, uh, and I haven't read anything that said that she's no longer a member of the team, and we've got the NCAA, you know, qualifying uh, gymnastics tournaments coming up uh, this weekend. I'm sorry, next weekend, yeah. So what is the status, guys, of Miss Susie Lee? Is she still part of the team? If she is, will she be participating or not? She is a part of the team, but I I just don't think she's been 100% health-wise, and I'm not exactly sure why that is. Uh, But I do know that she, uh, because her still main ultimate goal is to be an Olympian again, uh, I don't think she's willing to go out there unless she's 100%, and certainly don't blame her for that, but I, I think it's just been a little bit of a health issue the last few weeks. Okay. Um, you guys may, and you're welcome to give me your perspective, but I'm saying, well, if you're not going to be a member of the team actively and you know participating in helping them to uh, compete in the finals, then why are you continue to be on the team? And why is the coach grab continue to let her be on the team. Just go ahead and let her know, you know, that she's on a part of the, uh, the, the, the team, right? No. Uh, I, I think that 
a we're, we're not exactly sure uh, she she might be able to come back, but even if she's not, you don't just take someone off the team because they're injured. I mean, they they still worked hard for you, and they did nothing wrong, and they want to be there to support their teammates. And I'm a hundred percent sure that her teammates would want her there to support them and be with them and encourage them. And and she's smart; she knows what she's doing. If if there's something that they're doing wrong, she might be able to point it out and help someone out. So there is absolutely zero reason uh, to remove her from the team. Okay, well. So thanks for that perspective. I hadn't taken that into account. Uh, I've always wondered, okay, if you're not. Uh, and I mean, all I've read is so far is uh, it's a non-health reason. Is that correct? Yeah, the, the only thing that's been released so far from the athletic department and from, uh, from Coach Graba and SUNY is it's a non-gymnastics-related uh, health issue. Yep. Okay. All right, well, let's move on, guys, to things that bug me. Okay, see, they bug you. Uh, D1 College eliminates all athletic programs. This is from the comeback. And the team, um, now I read about St. Francis College of Brooklyn, is going to be eliminating all of the athletic programs. And they're D1 division. The same division that who's in? Fairleigh Dickinson. Yep, NEC Conference, yeah. Uh, yeah. Did you read about that? They just appeared, I guess, couldn't create enough revenue or – what was the other issue, guys? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure for a really small school like that, it, it, it is probably uh, – they lose money off of that. I, I don't doubt that. But uh, I, I would encourage everyone to look at studies done about what happens to a school when they have any success in a sport, how their uh, – sometimes their enrollment can go up because their applications go up a lot. Uh, even even for small schools, I, and I, I I wish I had gone back and, and archived the the story I read about uh, smaller schools, even their uh, attendance being bumped up after they make an NCAA tournament or they do anything. And so to not have sports, uh, that is a huge part of people's college experience for a lot of people. Not you don't have to be on the team, but people exactly. but people going, people having something to root for besides just academics. And I, I know for a lot of people obviously they still, you know, academics that they're trying to further their life and, and build a career of their own, that's their focus. But still, I mean, I, I there are thousands of people on every university that attend some sort of sporting event. Uh, and look forward to that, and that enriches their college experience. So I, I, I understand that the books might have said they were losing money, but I think it loses a lot of intrinsic value to your school when you don't offer athletics programs. And speaking to the uh, the the, uh, the revenue part of the population, I I saw and I read that apparently uh, the enrollment is I think around ten or twelve thousand uh, at Fairleigh Dickinson, so they don't have a lot of students. But this article says that St. Francis will honor all current academic and athletic scholarships, even though the students will no longer be participating in athletics. However, here's, here's the really unfortunate part. Employment for athletic staff and coaches will be terminated right. at the end of the semester. So there's a lot of jobs that are going to be lost. They depended, you know, on those uh, athletic uh, you know, sports uh, programs. And yeah, I mean, you've you got to keep those kids on scholarship. That would be uh, grossly unfair, but... Uh, at the same time, with the professional employment part of it, uh, you know, if there's no team to coach, then there's no team to administer to, and then you know that I, I don't know what you would do for the for the next couple of years. So, I mean, that is that is a, a a tough reality. At least they're keeping the kids on scholarship, but again, that's just a part of the ripple effect of, of making that kind of decision. 
All right, moving on, guys. How about this ripple effect? Just uh, saw this on the Internet, and I said, well, let me read this. It's, again, it's by the Comeback uh, website by Reese Shipley seven hours ago. NCAA makes a massive decision on transfer rules uh, for people who want a second transfer. Have you read that? Uh, yeah, we had uh, we talked a little bit about it, the proposal. This was proposed, I think, in the winter. Uh, and now it is looking like it's going to come to fruition now in the spring. So we, I, I had read a good bit about it. Okay, well, I want to hear your talk, your take on it because it seems pretty, uh, to me, unfair and rather harsh. Uh, apparently a waiver for a second transfer will be declined even if there's been a coaching change at your program. Right. And even if your scholarship is pulled and you'll no longer be – Having a scholarship, uh, guys, that seems a bit. And I've, I've seen the uh, the, the Christians uh, that agree with my perspective. But what's your take on this? Uh, do you agree with my perspective or disagree with it? I, I agree with part of it. I, I think the scholarship aspect of it, if you get your scholarship pulled. Now, look, if, I mean, you could get into is there a real cost for that? Did you get kicked off the team? You know, yada, yada, yada. But if you're just minding your own business and not playing as well as they want you to and they pull your scholarship, that's one thing, and you should be able to get out of that. But with the coach change thing, this falls under these things for me that basically are like, at some point you've got to deal with some sort of adverse circumstance. You, you shouldn't be taught that every single time something is wrong, you, you, you just go and, and get out of it and do something else. And I know that's not as popular to say in, in the way society works now. But you're, it's important to remember you still get a do-over here. You get a one-time transfer for really any reason you want. And so you've got to – and look, college kids are going to make mistakes, and I get it. And then that's why you get a free pass once. But if you're going to do this over and over again, you're developing this attitude – and this and this line of thinking that could be uh, to your detriment later in life because you've got to learn some stuff in college to take to your professional life and if if you're constantly being able to get out of a, you know a situation that's not perfect for you, life is not perfect. You're going to have situations in your job and your family. In your, in your relationships that are not perfect. And if you're being allowed to run from every single time something was wrong, then you're not going to ever learn to get over a problem or solve a problem or, or get through something. So, uh, you know, I understand that that is a difficult circumstance, but again, it's not like you're trapped from the word go. You get an opportunity uh, to, to do something over again and I again, it, I, I'm I'm good with the, I'm good with the other parts of that. And, and you know what you said has a great deal of merit. The only other thing I bring up to, to all of you though um, would be this. Okay, well, yeah, life is not fair, and you don't always get the things that you want. However, there's no safety net for these young kids when they make a bad decision. Let's look at all the professional uh, coaching. Uh, changes that take place in the college level and even at the NFL level. You know, when coaches uh, leave one program, they go to another program, they get fired, they get paid for doing a bad job. They go to another place, maybe get another bad performance, and they get rehired somewhere else. It happens. We see it happen in the SEC. They don't really get punished. 
we were talking about, and these are adults who have adult brains. So I'm just saying, well, why do we have necessarily – doesn't this smack me of a double standard? The coaches can make bad decisions, but they don't really get penalized for it. But people who are yet maybe have developed a adult brain are going to be more heavily uh, scrutinized and more heavily you know, uh, held accountable, right? Well, poor decisions and, and poor coaching are two different things because poor coaching is you not doing your job well. And, and the way college athletics is structured – uh, you know, it is different than a lot of other professions. Yeah, you get a big check usually on the way out if you do a bad job, and then you usually find another lesser job in the profession, and it functions differently uh, than regular society. That is fair. Uh, but also, I, I want to I want to say, though, if those guys that, that do well from a smaller school and they move on to a bigger job, can you not sort of do that? Already, if you're a college athlete too, like if you've not transferred and you do really well to small school, you can transfer to a bigger school. The school didn't get to keep you. They, they didn't get to see you all the way through. You got to make the decision originally to go somewhere else, or you could go pro early. You, the school, you signed a scholarship that would have been good for four years, but the school will only benefit from you from one because you went pro. And so you still get freedoms if you are doing a good job as a student athlete, you have the ability to move up, just like a one college coach only. does. One time only, that's it. But in a four-year span. Coaches, sure, a few might move in a four-year span twice, but again, it's more so after six, seven, eight, nine, ten, twenty years. Okay, well, I'm just I'm throwing these things out because I, I want to hear the other side of, of my views, so uh, you're welcome. Uh, thank you for, for your perspective. All right. Moving on, guys, speaking of uh, rule changes, this came up about uh, a week ago. I just now pulled it up. Um, and it's about Nick Saban wants rule change that appears to target Tennessee. It's by John Bueller uh, from fansite.com. Have, have you read that article? It appeared about a week ago. I, I don't think I have. Okay, well, apparently, uh, speaking with Sports Illustrated's Ross Dellinger, Saban apparently expressed a desire to see college football implement substitution rules to help him reset his Alabama defense and be in line with players' safety. Fate would have it, it says, that this proposed rule change of sorts would actually be a major thorn in Josh Heifel's side as it would make it harder for rival Tennessee's offense to operate. And so I thought, well, here we go again. If Saban finds it some kind of strategy doesn't benefit him, then he's going to complain about it, and hopefully it goes his way. Because he's done that times before, right, guys? And he's got it to go his way. Yeah, I mean, some of the times he has offered rule changes that uh, he ended up benefiting from uh, in, in some point. You know, he at some point, you know, he – uh, if they if they're not going to change the rules, you know the the original stuff about the up tempo offenses several years ago. Well, then he just went and got an up tempo offense and did well in it. So sometimes, I mean, yes, it, it, maybe you could say it's something that that ailed him in, in a particular game or that sort of thing. But then usually he just ends up, you know, if they don't change the rules, like okay, well, I, I thought this was better for the game, then he ends up uh, using it uh, to his advantage. So, I mean, you know, I. I I, I, I we'll we'll see what happens with that, but uh, at, usually he ends up uh, just just benefiting from it if they don't change it. We're about out of time, so we got to take this hour break here. All right, guys, 
uh, maybe tomorrow we'll talk about this, uh, because it involves uh, the, the uh, some of the sports fans, uh, baseball especially, that uh, you guys talk about that you actually uh, have on your broadcast. But a U.S. sports broadcaster is missing payments to Major League Baseball teams, and it's nearing bankruptcy. Valley Sports, um, yeah. Yeah, were you aware of them? Oh, yes, we are. We talked about them, yep. You did already? Okay. Yeah, All we'll right. talk about some more, though. Yeah. Let's go back. Uh, guys, thank you for your time. I know what time is way up, but we are playing tonight, right? Six o'clock. Yes, sir. Six Auburn. Five. Yep, Auburn, Georgia. Now, maybe you can explain to me tomorrow why they've changed that from Thursday, from usually Friday, Saturday, Sunday, now it's Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. We'll talk about it tomorrow, though. Sure. War Eagle, Steve. Have a safe afternoon. War Eagle. That is retired Ward and Steve joining us on the Auburn Bank phone line. As said, we are out of time. For hour number one, stay tuned. A lot of sports call coming up here in hour number two and hour number three. More talk about the NCAA tournament, about Auburn baseball. A lot on the docket. Sports calls play of the week all coming up after this. One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Hour number two starts right now here on Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brant Daughtry, and Brooks Childress with you here today. A lot to do still in these final two hours. Birthdays and sports coming up in a little bit. Uh, more talk about the NCAA tournament, Auburn baseball, a little Auburn football mixed in there too. Uh, a lot going on here on this Thursday edition of Sports Call. Let's go right back to the Auburn Bank phone lines to open up hour number two, 334-887-341 locally, toll-free, tiger 9 next up on the show today. Terry from Auburn. Terry joins us. Terry, how are you doing? Doing great, guys. How's it going? Doing well. Great. Guys, I'm starting to believe uh, for, uh, that the two best teams in the country might be Alabama and Creighton, and I believe wholeheartedly that's what it's going to come down to if, I, if Alabama can beat San Diego State and Craig can be whoever. I don't remember who they're playing right now. I apologize. Yeah, they, but that, if, yeah. I'm sorry. They they got Princeton this week. Okay, Princeton. Okay, yeah. well they can win that game. So they, and, and and they're scary because at the first first of the year they were kind of a Final Four pick, and they were they were you know getting a lot of injuries. Now they're healthy and they're clicking at the right time. If I'm Alabama, that's the one that scares me the most. Yeah, a lot of people have been a little quiet on this Creighton team. I think because of the seeding of the, you know their sixth seed. But I did have them making the Elite Eight in my bracket, and they've got. <laughs> five or six really good players. They're not a deep team, but all their starters are really good. And Auburn fans will remember Trey Alexander was someone that was very close to going to Auburn. Uh, he's mm. been an excellent shooter for them. They've got uh, Nimhard, uh, Kalkbrenner, their big guy. I mean, they, they've got a lot of, of quality in that starting five. Again, they can't they can't go too deep. If there's a big foul trouble game, they'd get in problems. But their starting five is, is really, really good. 
They might go too deep, but they could get ahead, and then it's a non-factor. And that's what I think about Alabama. They are so good. you got to jump on them because if you if you hang right there with them, they're going to win. But if you make them come from behind, they, you can beat them. It's kind of like a Nick Saban team. Nick Saban's great at Alabama as long as he's beating people 42 to 10. I mean, yeah, you gotta, you gotta. If you're trying to pull an upset, you, you usually got to get the get the big team early on. If if you're trailing them the whole game, right. they're gonna they're gonna build confidence. It's gonna be tough. And Alabama's the type of team that finds a way to win, which the great teams do. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, they, they shoot a lot of threes, but they don't have to score that way. Uh, we mm-hmm. saw that in the Auburn game in Tuscaloosa. They scored ninety with, uh, with the overtime game, even though they shot twenty five percent from three. So they're dynamic. Obviously, they can defend well at times, too. They're tough. Okay, let me ask you guys an Auburn football question, okay? Sure. If I gave you guys this choice, if I said the Auburn quarterback next year is A, T.J. Finley, B, um, I'm losing my train of thought here, guys, I'm sorry, uh, the, Robbie Ashford, C, Holden Gurner, D, not on campus and not mentioned, which would you guys choose? I would lean towards uh, I would prefer it to be not on campus yet. Uh, we we understand that uh, there there can be a good bit of development uh, with what Hugh Freeze does. However, you also got to start with they're also installing new offense. So that development is not going to come this spring. And so it, we might see a spring game here in two weeks where they look the exact same uh, as the fall. Uh, and so I, I'm not really interested in anything T.J. Finley I know that Holden Gurner was a, a big-time four-star recruit, but again, I, I've got to see something before I just marry myself to the idea that he's going to be a really good college quarterback. And then with Ashford, obviously the, the wheels are, are, are intriguing. He's an awesome runner. Got to get a lot better as a passer. But my preference is that there's still someone out there that they can bring in to compete and ultimately win that job. And I think in your coach, I didn't hear them chime in. I want to hear what they had to say. Um... I think a I, I think my my number one option is is to see how Robbie Ashford works in this Hugh Freeze offense, um, but I, I also agree with Ryan. I think that there there's going to be some people out there post spring that I, I don't know you know I don't know if they're going to be the quality that you're looking for to be the starter, but you bring them in and they could be a very quality backup that can come in and you know develop in this offense and maybe get to that starting spot because you know you look at who's going to be entering the transfer portal elsewhere is going to be guys that aren't going to be able to win their starting jobs at their schools now and so I, I think that if you bring in if you can go out and get a portal guy uh, I was listening to um, who was I listening to earlier today Chuck Oliver uh, was was talking earlier today over on our sister station AM twelve thirty WAED, and he he brought it he brought up the subject about you know your rosters at this point when you are looking at you know especially in this transfer portal age especially at the quarterback room to be when to feel like you are in a good place you want to have three guys in there that you are confident that they could be a, a, a if not right now they could be a starter someday in your program and i think that's what Hugh Freeze needs to do here is go out and uh if if he does not believe that those three guys are in that room he's got to find them and uh he he probably look the, you know look after the spring comes well the thing i've heard uh, the least the least spoke about and this is what i truly believe whoever the quarterback is this year he's just a bridge for one more year to walker white gets here yeah, I mean, he's going to be a, a big-time recruit, uh, obviously, and, and that's someone that would be the first true Hugh Freeze guy uh, at quarterback. I guess they got, uh, what was it, Hank Brown or, or, or somebody uh, off this class, but he was a lower-rated recruit, and 
you know, I, I think the the first big time guy will be next year, and and I, I think that uh, that could be the case. But also, I mean, you're ideally, I mean, it depends on who the portal guy is. If it had been someone like Spencer Sanders, then that would have worked perfectly there. But if you get one of these guys that was like a sophomore somewhere, but a big time recruit just hadn't won a job yet and then he comes in here, competes, and beats out Ashford and, and or Finley, then, you know, I mean, look, you'd, you'd still have two or three years of eligibility there. So, you, I mean, you wouldn't have to kick him to the curb there. But So we'll see. Uh, but I, I think I think the whole idea is, is that there has got to be a lot of development with the guys on campus now or else it's going to mm-hmm. need to be someone else. I think, you guys think the Grayson McCall stuff is dead? Because I don't. I'd say that's a really interesting situation to me because there are whispers, obviously nothing confirmed, but there are whispers that over the summer over the summer semester he could go and get his degree and then uh, whatever his and then he'd be free to transfer wherever he wants as a graduate and wouldn't have to worry about uh, academics nearly as much. Now he'd still have to take classes wherever he goes, but still uh, you'd, you'd have that availability and I, I definitely think that Grayson McCall, uh, could be back in the portal if he manages to do that. Obviously, we don't know what his academic progress is, uh, but if he manages to do that, then I certainly think that Auburn would be back on his radar. As I heard in May, this coming up May, he's going to be uh, he's going he's going to finish and be eligible. So I don't know if that's what there's to refer to different things, I guess. But I've heard in May he's going to graduate and have his all all his eyes dotted and T's crossed and be ready to go. Interestingly enough, and this might have much to do about nothing. He actually came across my uh, Twitter feed like an hour ago because he signed an NIL deal with Darlington Raceway, uh, which is in South Carolina. So no idea uh, no idea who hooked him up with that or, or what that means, if anything. But uh, he did actually come up uh, for a separate reason today. Well, that's all well and good. But I'd like coming from Talladega. I can promise you people in Alabama love their NASCAR too. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> Appreciate it, guys. Yeah, Appreciate take it. Care. Absolutely. That I'm is really the Harry from Auburn right there uh, joining us on the Auburn Bank phone line. Appreciate Terry for calling in. Uh, to this Thursday show, and uh, yeah, no, I mean, look, that the million dollar question is who's going to be getting into the portal uh, in a, in two, three, four weeks time? Because right now, you know, the portal is is fairly inactive. We're starting to see a couple guys, obviously uh, Cameron Brown, and then Tisdale. Is that who Tisdale, Tisdale? Des- Desmond Tisdale, uh, who yeah. went in last night, uh, a reserve linebacker for Auburn. So Auburn's got two guys that have already. Uh, gone in the portal, and so other places will start to have some guys. And I don't want to say bleed guys because that makes it sound like it's such a negative thing for all these programs at this point. But the reality, too, is is what Brooks pointed out, is we've got to see, again, who these names are actually are that get in the portal because it's easy for me to sit and look at Auburn's current quarterback roster and say, I don't really like any of that. None, none of that really seems like that's going to put Auburn in a really good position next year. However, you got to get someone in that's going to trump that. And there might be a lot of guys in college football better than what Auburn's got right now, but that doesn't mean they hit the portal this spring. And that uh, also doesn't mean they come to Auburn. Right. I, yeah, I mean, because you, you've got to, you've got to fight. You just be the same reason that, or the same reason you were looking for a quarterback in the portal. There's a dozen or so schools that are also using that same reason, look in the portal and, you know, obviously, NIL money in the Auburn uh, for Auburn helps. The new football facility helps, but you you know you've got to win those battles, and that that's the big thing because you've got a dozen or so other programs that are also looking for that that same quarterback for the same reasons you are. Would you think? Let me pose this question, then we'll take our our first time out of the hour. 
Uh, Hugh Freeze has talked about in the recruiting process that he does not want to sign anyone he has not laid eyes on, personally. Yeah. Do you think that applies to transfer portal guys? I wonder, I mean... That's a great question. You don't have time to go and visit every single high school recruit who may or may not be good enough to go to your program. You Sometimes you've got to watch film in your office and let that be enough. Sometimes you've got to let position coaches watch film in your office and let that be enough. I These guys, these transfer portal guys, especially guys like Grayson McCall, who have been somewhere for forever now, you can watch them on film. Yes, I understand wanting to put your eyes on a player in real life because some things get lost on camera. Absolutely, that's true. But... Again, just sticking with Grayson McCall, he's been a starter at Coastal Carolina for three years. Right. And I'm, I'm sure not every game he's played in has been broadcast, but most of them. I've watched them on ESPN at night. Uh, you can go and you can find footage. You can go, you can go and watch film. You have to watch yeah. film because no coach has time to individually go to every high school player. or ev- And now with the advent of the transfer portal, every college kid – you know, and maybe he's just saying, "Oh, I want to go and I want to watch him throw on his official visit." It doesn't have to be in a game setting. That's fine, um, but it, it's to say to say that you, as a coach, have the time to go and individually in person check out every player that you want to sign. That's there's not enough time in the day. Yeah. yeah. No. Go ahead. Yeah. I, I mean, I just. There are obviously you got to look at you know if he is still subscribing to that opinion and no exceptions that sort of thing, then you got to think of who all Liberty played the last few years, who all he would have recruited at Liberty that might have been somewhere else. You know maybe he recruited Grayson McCall three or four years ago. I, I don't I don't know when he first got to Liberty. I, I don't know, um, but I also you know that could be something where if we get to the portal part of this in late April and Auburn is not going after someone we thought they would go after if that could be the underlying reason there. And, and look, then you get into, is that being too stubborn? Should you have, you know, a little faith in your eyes on the film? Should you trust some of your other coaches there? And we can get into that when the time comes, but that is something at least on my radar and in the back of my mind where, you know, he did say that about his high school guys and, he is an offensive guy, so it, it makes sense that he wants to see it with his own eyes before he ties himself to somebody. But, you know, at the same time, it's pretty public right now. It's not just our opinions. It's pretty public that, that Auburn's coaches are not very thrilled with where the offense is at right now. They're not exuberated with uh, progress from, from these offensive guys. Uh, there's an article uh, by On3 today, Justin Hokinson. The, uh, the, the headline is, The implementation of Auburn's new offense is slowing the progress of the receivers some, both Hugh Freeze and Marcus Davis acknowledge, uh, and went on to interview Coach Marcus Davis there. So that's talking about wide receivers there. But look, the, read the tea leaves that, uh, good for these guys being honest, there's a lot of work to do. I don't think anyone's going to go get mad if Auburn doesn't go 11-1, and 10-2 this year. Uh, but they're kind of laying out these little hints here that, yeah, there's as much work as you thought there was with this offense, and and there are uh, a bunch of returning guys in that QB room right now that have a bunch of flaws that that need to be worked on, and then 
There's a certain kind of wide receiver that Hugh Freeze has tried to already bring in that will want to bring in those bigger body receivers, not necessarily uh, all guys that Auburn's had in the past because Auburn uh, under Malzahn, Harson started to go towards the bigger receiver, but certainly under Malzahn, you'd see the occasional bigger guy, but then you'd also see guys that were specifically bubble screen and jet sweep type of receivers, and those are vastly different than the 6'4", 6'5", big boys that Hugh Freeze has tried to recruit over his time in college. So there's a whole lot of change going on right now, uh, and we will see, I guess, how active they are in this portal. But again, as Terry brings up, you know, what you want from your quarterback, you're, you're seeing the signs that the the big development step is not there right now. Again, I don't think anyone thought it really would be, uh, what, two weeks, three weeks of practice into a new administration. But nevertheless, uh, kind of an honest note right now, coming from the Auburn football staff, that there is a lot of work to do on offense and a lot of spring to go still, two weeks plus till A-Day. Some other teams will have spring games even later than Auburn, so that's why kind of the whole month of April will kind of have both eyes on the portal. But uh, interesting time for sure with Auburn football, and uh, we'll continue to cover it throughout the spring when we get any more news or notes or any more transfer portal happenings both uh, to and from Auburn, as is the case the last couple of days uh, with Desmond Tisdall and Cameron Brown heading towards the portal. Let's take our first commercial break here of hour number two. A lot more fun ahead on this Thursday edition of Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. Sports Call has been on the air since 1995. I'm Trevon Reed, former Auburn Tiger football player and national champion. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger Welcome back to Sports Call on this beautiful Thursday afternoon. Ryan LaVoy, Brant Daughtry, and Brooks Childress having fun, talking a little bit and everything. Coming up a little bit later, we'll preview the Sweet 16 for tonight. Four games. Remember, we still split them up Thursday and Friday, and we'll give you an update on our brackets. Uh, I'm glad Tom's not here when we do that because I got a little preview from him earlier this week, and he was saying, like, what did he say three of his final four were gone or at least his whole championship game was gone like it was bad it was really really bad so yeah my, i, I don't think i don't think anybody has like a a fantastic bracket at this right. point like most of them are pretty bad yeah i mean it, that happens when a 16 beats a one and yeah a 15 beats probably the strongest or second strongest two seed in people's minds when you're talking about Princeton beating Arizona. Uh, and we will talk about it a little bit more tomorrow because Alabama and Creighton's regional will be tomorrow. Uh, but Terry did hit on a little bit. Uh, 
I'm I'm very high on Creighton. I did not pick them to beat Alabama in my bracket, but I did have them to reach the Alabama game. I had them beating Baylor and Arizona. Uh, I don't think Creighton should be seen. People should get too stargazed at the sixth seed uh, beside their name. I, I think that they're one of the teams. Look, you got you had to win two games here in the first place. Maybe aside from Princeton, I mean, just about everyone's feeling good. I mean, Princeton feels good right now. Everyone's feeling good after two wins. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm of the opinion that if you can make it through to the Sweet 16, you win two games in the NCAA tournament, everybody remaining can win this thing. Like, there's nobody I, – I don't think there's anybody here who just absolutely cannot win one of these games. I mean, and, and yeah, you touched on it. Like, Princeton, yes, they're a 15 seed, but they had to beat a two seed to get here. And would you rather play the two seed or the team that beat the two seed? You know that that's the that's what you have to go through. And then they beat Missouri, who's no slouch. Right. You know, beat they them pretty easily. Beat, beat them by fifteen. It just, it, I don't know. It's interesting going forward. Like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, man. That's it, this. It's a crapshoot, and that's why it's awesome. Yep. And you know, I think Steve referenced the lines yesterday because a lot of the lines are pretty close. Because again, I mean that that's the element that you don't know about. You do have four a few days off. So do some of these teams cool down that were hot? You don't know that. Some of these teams have a really good win so far in the tournament, even though they might be a poor seed or a lower seed. I mean, looking at the lines tonight, I won't get into this too much. Uh, we're going to have to go back to Auburn and make phone line. But just real quickly, Michigan State-Kansas game, line of one. Arkansas-UConn, four. FAU-Tennessee, four and a half. Gonzaga-UCLA, one. So all four games less than five points yeah. between them uh, on the betting line. As it should be. So that that's going to be fun. 334-887-341 locally, toll-free, one 888 Next up on the Auburn Bank phone line. Anthony from Auburn. Anthony joins us. Anthony, how are you doing? Doing good. And you guys? Doing well. You know, before we get into the basketball, I want to talk a little football. I mean, uh, to my understanding, y'all had pro day yesterday, and I uh, think Cam Noon was there and Tank Bigsley and whatnot. Uh, what kind of report y'all guys got? A uh, high cam look? Uh, what tank might have ran in the forty? Uh, y'all got anything y'all want to share? Uh, yeah, I mean we talked. So uh, pro day was Tuesday, so we talked about it okay, Tuesday. And, okay. Yeah, we talked about it Tuesday and Wednesday, but uh, pretty much, uh, you know, from Tank Bigsby's perspective, you know, he ran a four four, um, which was about a tenth faster than uh, what he was able to run uh, at the at the combine. He uh, it, Shed Jackson was somebody that ran uh, a four two, uh, and uh, w- was much faster. And then you had uh, Cam. Obviously, Cam was um, he was good with deep throws. He showed off. He still got the big arm, but he did miss a couple of shorter stuff, which he's tended to do. Uh, and so he was fine. He was good, but I don't think it really changed the narrative around him. Anthony, there. I don't have Anthony right now. I don't either. So uh, we'll have to get back in touch with Anthony there. Uh, something going on with our phone line. But, uh, yeah, Anthony, give us a call if you're still uh, still listening uh, back in there. But, yeah, no, we, we did talk pro day, but we'll be glad to go over it again. Uh, Auburn did have a couple of their own guys, uh, have some pretty big performances compared to the, the combine, bench press, 40 time, all that stuff. And then, obviously, Cam, the headline grabber there to – uh, to show up and throw, and that was not on the radar until 
18 hours before it happened. Yeah, absolutely. And you touched on it. I think the biggest winner here, uh, if there is a winner, is Shedrick Jackson. He did not get an invite to the combine, but showed off his speed, showed off his athleticism with his his vertical, and you know ran like a, a four two nine almost. I think it was. It was, and and obviously Auburn does not have the laser set up, and it was unofficial. And unofficial times are usually a little bit faster than uh, than the official times at the combine, but still uh, a blazing blazing effort from Shedrick Jackson. He was really impressive, and then. Tank Tank performed pretty well. Uh, John Samuel Schenker is another name that drew a lot of headlines. He actually performed the bench press and got 29 reps, which uh, the most reps by a tight end at this year's NFL Combine was 23. So while uh, while Schenker did not get the invite, he did prove that he was stronger, at least uh, upper body endurance-wise, uh, than any of the tight ends that were at the Combine. So that was another thing that drew headlines. I think Tank Tank was the biggest winner because he he performed poorly in his combine forty. I think it was a four five six something like that, and came back at at Auburn and ran it a lot faster than that. Uh, even with hand time, it was clear that his forty time was a lot better in Auburn than it was uh, over in Indianapolis. So I think uh, a pretty b- a good day uh, for all involved. Cam, uh, yeah, I, I think Ryan hit it on the head. He showed some inaccuracies at times. I think he completed twenty nine of thirty four were the numbers that I saw, and he had one drop. So it was an accurate throw, but it was dropped. So 30 of 34 were accurate throws. Um, showed off the showed off a deep ball that it that was apparently uh, pretty impressive. And, uh, you know, I, I think that I, I don't know if Cam is going to get another shot, but it's not going to be for lack of trying. Uh, I, I personally think that he is done. I think that injuries have kind of robbed him of what remained of his prime. Uh, and I, I just I'm not sure that he still has it. I hope I'm wrong. I hope he does get a chance, and I hope he shows out. But I would be surprised if that happens. Well, go ahead, Brooks. I'm I was going to say, uh, you know, I think he can get a get a uh, get a chance somewhere. I think you know you look at how often there are injuries at the quarterback position in the league, and then that team, especially if it's a team that's in a you know a chance to make the playoffs, they get. Not, I'm not going to say desperate, but they get like, look, we got to get someone that can help us win. I think Cam is a is a guy that can fill that role, and we talked about that last year going into it, but it just it never materialized for anybody to sign him um, last year. But I think we were we we've heard this opinion before, and I think Ryan, you you said you had this opinion as well that he could be he could fit well on a roster as a specialist guy that comes in in the the. Um, in the short yardage situations and down by the goal line situations because he's still got the legs. He's still, you know, the, the, the injuries are there, you know, the injuries have been there, but that the height didn't go away. He's still a pretty tall guy. And if he just, you know, he's up the line, takes a snap, falls forward on a short yardage situation, probably can get a first down, probably can get a touchdown when it's really close. So I think there's roles in the NFL for Cam Newton. Um, and hopefully an NFL team will, will, you know, see that potential. And hopefully they saw, you know, saw some potential yesterday at the uh, or on Tuesday at the pro day and uh, are, are able to get him on a roster. Can I be dumb for a second? How good is 29 of 34 against air? Is that good? I mean, I, it's, I, I really it's, it's about I would say that's expected of you if you do if. If you do poorly against air, it's obviously an indictment. Right. If, if you're you do, twenty of thirty-four, it's yeah. It's, if you do well against air, it's kind of okay. He can throw against air yeah. for 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 my opinion, at least. Like I, I think you have to be able to throw against air before you can throw against live competition. But I knew Cam Newton was a good quarterback. 
uh, it's not shocking to me that he had 30 of 34 accurate passes. I think you look. You, have, you also have to look at it in what context it was, what the misses were. Were they just overthrown? Were they inaccurate balls? Or did the receivers just not handle them? I think right. that's, a, that's a big big question. Right, and we, don't, and we don't have footage of all 34 right. passes that Cam Newton Because I, I know there's intricacies about knowing your wide receivers and, and how they come out of their breaks and some timing stuff, and I get that. But, you know, I, I think the important thing here was, you know, A, attitude-wise, was he willing to accept? And we talked on the show throughout the week. I, I just don't think he's going to accept being a backup quarterback yeah. in the NFL. I, I think Cam, in his heart of hearts, believes he's good enough to be a right. starter and, still. And I, and I believe he believes that too. Uh, but then then you start to worry about the fits and, okay, he might be better than three or four of the listed starters, but then, A, they're going to probably take Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud. They'll take up a couple of them. And then of the other couple, what direction are they trying to put that particular franchise in? So, you know, that's part of it. And then also, too, you know, I don't want to make these cases the exact same because they're not. They're st- even though that they do some similar things and that they are synonymous with running the football at the quarterback position, I do want to point out that this is a quarterback that is 33, about to be 34. It has felt like his best days have been behind him for a couple of years, uh, really ever since he got injured around 2019 in Carolina, uh, the year before he went to New England. And – this is the exact reason I'm telling you right now. This is the exact reason franchises are scared to death to give someone like Lamar a five or six year uh, highly guaranteed deal because you already know you're working from a foundation of a decent passer or maybe a slightly above average passer. And then you work from the standpoint of, okay, how quickly do the legs go? Fortunately for Cam, his legs still looked pretty good two years ago. And that's why if I'm a, if I'm a GM, if I could sit down with him and say, will you accept this very particular carved out role? You know, if he could do that, I'd be interested because his legs are still there. But his throwing, which was never elite, it was good at times, never elite. His throwing ha- has already decayed some. And you combine that with the moment his legs are gone, He's not playable at that point because he would be a below-average passer without the ability to run at that point. Now, again, his legs still appear to be there. But so I'm saying with the Lamar aspect of it is, okay, right now, above-average passer. You know, quarterback-wise, you call him top five, top seven QB in the league. That's fine. But part of what he does is a runner. He's not a top five passer. He's a top five or seven quarterback. As a passer, I don't know, 10th? 12, put a number on it somewhere between 8 and 15. That's probably where Lamar is a passer. So, But he's the very best runner. So when he ceases to be the best runner, or if he drops at all as a passer and instead of the 8 to 15 range, he's the 18 to 25 range, how quickly is that borne out as a, as a total package? And that's the question that NFL teams are going through with him. And I'm not trying to make this all about Lamar, but I'm saying – the anatomy of how a mobile quarterback declines is different in how a pocket quarterback declines. And so far, it has been much easier for pocket quarterbacks to age because you simply put a really good offensive line. They don't lose their cerebral nature. They don't lose their accuracy. Accuracy is one of the last things to leave. They might lose some some arm strength. We saw it with like Peyton Manning at the end. But the things that make pocket quarterbacks great are the things that you usually lose last. The things that mobile quarterbacks make them great 
you usually lose first. And so all that to say is with Cam at 34, for other guys at 34, I got half a decade left. Ask Aaron Rodgers. Ask Drew Brees how much time he had left. Obviously, Brady's a cyborg, but I'm just talking about other guys that have won an MVP or kind of been near that level. You know, those guys still had plenty of time left at 34. Even Roethlisberger, big old boy, still had time. <laughs> but Cam seems to be basically out of the league or, or without an obvious place in the league at 34. And I think it's just, look, attitude's part of it in not being willing to be a backup. But those other guys didn't go from the fourth, fifth best quarterback in the league to backup. So they still were quarterbacks in the league for five more years. And so I think with Cam, he had to find a way and not that 34 passes in a pro day would have proven yay or nay, but he'd have to find a way to be as good of a passer as he was six, seven years ago. And I don't think you just write, rewrite the chapter of who you are. It's very difficult, at least. Uh, and I, I don't want to keep talking in circles here, but that, that, that's just my complete thoughts on it, is it, it Cam, in a sense, is part of the case study on mobile quarterbacks because and even he didn't age too poorly in the ground game it's just for whatever reason the 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 throwing went a little bit less which again was not elite to begin with it was just pretty good and it, it turned into now it is about his attitude because people don't want that big personality as a backup and um, you know he's he's out of the league at 33 34 years old I mean it just it seems like he is. Here's the other thing that you have to deal with with Cam Newton. As much as I want him to get another shot in the NFL, uh, I, I, I said this. Say I have the same same theory, and I apply it to the likes of Tim Tebow and Colin Kaepernick, two quarterbacks that you don't hear grouped together very often. I'll throw Cam Newton in there with him. Is he good? Is he better than all 32 starting quarterbacks in the NFL? Or is he better? Any all, of them. Yeah, is he, is he be better than any of the 32? Right. right. Yes, probably. But you is he good enough to win a Super Bowl? Is he good enough to lead your team to a winning record, to playoff appearances? You have to take that into account because when you sign Cam Newton, all of a sudden you are not, I don't know, the Washington Commanders. You are Cam Newton and the Washington Commanders. And it becomes a media firestorm, and it becomes a lot of headaches. It becomes a lot of PR. And not to say that Cam is uh, a bad teammate, not to say that he is a distraction in and of himself, but that is to say people are going to want to talk mostly about Cam Newton leading up to the season. Um, so you have to consider, are you willing to take on that media firestorm for a guy who may or may not be good enough, you know, in the same way you have to ask the question about Tebow and Kaepernick, you now have to ask that question about Newton. And frankly, for a 33-year-old who you've out, or you've already outlined has declined athletically because everyone does when they hit their 30s and was never a super elite passer, was good. And, and it's heartbreaking because I really think Cam Newton would be in a would be viewed as a much better passer if he ever had a decent offensive line and his best wide receiver he ever played would was not was was not Ted Ginn. Sure, there were some factors to it. Absolutely. Yeah, and, yeah. and you know it, they tried to draft Kelvin Benjamin, who eventually turned into a tight end. There's a lot that held Cam <laughs> Newton back in 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 Carolina uh, that's going to affect his legacy uh, that I wish hadn't. But in today's world, you have to realize 
Cam Newton is a big name, and he may not be able to back it up with his play on the field, even if he is your starter. Uh, we're going to take our final timeout of hour number two. We understand we might be having some phone difficulties right now if you're trying to call into our Auburn Bank phone line. We're going to try and work on that. Uh, so if you are trying to call in, give us a few minutes. We'll try and work on that and uh, see if we can get things going again. But we'll take our final timeout here of hour number two. More sports call right after this. May we have your attention, please? Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? We're Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. Hi, my name is... What? My name is... My name is... Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. I'm Deshaun Davis, former Auburn Tigers football player and all-SEC linebacker. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call on this Thursday. Ryan LaVoy, Brand Daughtry, and Brooks Childress with you here. Just a few more minutes left in hour number two. Uh, we have undergone a, a major phone failure. And uh, <laughs> unfo- we, we, you know, full disclosure, we had a, a, a power outage earlier. Uh, we're able to correct that pretty quickly. Uh, but it appears that... Uh, after being able to take calls for an hour and a half, the phone in the entire office decided they were they were done for the day. Uh, we're not done for the day. We're going to keep going for the next hour, hour 15. Uh, but unfortunately, it does not look like our Auburn Bank phone line is going to be up and running for the rest of the show today. We hope to get that resolved first thing tomorrow morning and, and get back to taking your phone calls. We obviously appreciate all those that, that do call into the show. It is sports call for a reason. Uh, and so we, we greatly apologize for that inconvenience. We were in the middle of talking to Anthony when that happened, so we apologize to Anthony uh, and, and the others who were trying to call in at the, at the time. So we will not be able to take phone calls for the rest of the show today. And, again, we will uh, let you know when we get those phone lines back up and working. Hopefully uh, we're able to do so uh, in time for tomorrow's show. But just a couple minutes left in hour number two here. Good news is we have a lot to talk about today that we've not yet gotten to, including this is getting towards the end of the week. The World Baseball Classic has already ended, but we do need to get to this week's Sports Call Player of the Week. American shortstop Trey Turner is Sports Call's Player of the Week. Turner led the United States through to the final of the World Baseball Classic, hitting four homers with seven total hits and 19 at-bats. His four homers are the most all-time for an American player, and the biggest hits have come in the biggest moments. In the eighth inning of the quarterfinal against Venezuela on Saturday, with the U.S. down by two, Turner hit a go-ahead grand slam to put the U.S. up 9-7 and through to the semifinals. In that semifinal matchup against Cuba, Turner hit two more homers and drove in four runs in a 14-2 route. His 10 RBIs for the tournament are now tied for the most in WBC history. Trey Turner is Sports Call's Player of the Week. So Trey Turner, this week's Sports Call Player of the Week, uh, for what he did, uh, really, I mean, it even continued into the championship game where he homered in his first at-bat and had an additional hit. He was awesome for the U.S. He was one of those that talked about, despite having played in a World Series before, that this felt just as big 
as that to him. His performance was certainly big. The event was a big success as a whole. The U.S. did fall earlier this week 3-2, to but uh, Trey Turner, uh, very special performance. And now Braves country will go back to hating him for the next 162, but he truly was special at the World Baseball Classic. Yeah, and I'm glad he gets it out of his system early. Hopefully he falls back down to earth uh, once the regular season starts up. But, yeah, an incredible performance from him and, 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 you know, just a – I guess we can take this opportunity to talk about the finale of the World Baseball Classic, which I have not yet. I'm not sure if y'all talked about it on yesterday's show, but um, that ending was movie-like. Yes, that was that was just a little too on the nose. It felt and just incredible that it came down to Trout and future Atlanta Brave Shohei Otani. Um, <laughs> uh, just and the sequence and. The atmosphere, it felt like watching October baseball. It felt like watching a playoff series and between two giants and just an incredible performance from from both the, the, the Japanese team and the U.S. team. And Man, I wish it came back more. I wish it came around more yeah. often. Uh, it'll be back in three years, not four, because of the way uh, this one got postponed by a year or two. And, and so it'll be back in 2026. Uh, I there, I can't believe I'm I'm gonna give him airtime, but uh, Christopher Russo uh, had just an alarmingly bad take yesterday uh, on ESPN. Where there have been he, a lot of bad takes about well, the world, the World Baseball yeah, Classic, where, where he said it was not a special at bat and blah blah blah. And I don't know if it was stemming from just the fact I think it's stemming from the fact that he struck out or something like that. But it's like, dude, you know, not Did every you see that single great you know, sequence is about a big hit, you know, or about a big homer. That was a, a full count. Shohei had blown a couple of 100-mile-per-hour fastballs by Trout. Trout's one of the great hitters of this generation. Otani's on his way to being one of the, the great players of this generation. And, I, 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 you know, it does not have to end in a home run to be, to be a great event. Went to full count. As Brant just said, great slider. That retired uh, Trout, nasty slider. Look, I wanted the U.S. I wanted Trout to go 420 feet into the night, but it did not happen. Uh, that doesn't, you know, make it less great at bat. It just means the team we wanted to have the great outcome did not have the great great outcome. But uh, a, incredible World Baseball Classic, and again, a uh, incredible uh, performance by Trey Turner throughout the World Baseball Classic, who is this week's Sports Call Player of the Week. Somehow the team that has both of those two players will finish under 500 this year. Yep. They do it every year. Great for the Angels. Can't wait for someone else to have those two players. Some At some point, please, if we can see them in the postseason. Out of time for hour number two. When we come back, again, we'll preview the Sweet 16 tonight and much, much more. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Auburn's First and Auburn's Favorite Sports Talk Show. Two hours of Sports Call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. 
Welcome back to hour number three here of Sports Call on this Thursday afternoon. Tiger 95.9, Ryan LaVoy, Brant Dontry, and Brooks Childress with you here. Again, our apologies. Our Auburn Bank phone line now not working. Uh, it decided that it, uh, it wanted to hit the weekend early, uh, about 30 minutes ago or so. Uh, so we are not able to take your phone calls for the rest of the show. We hope to get that issue resolved tomorrow in time for the next edition of Auburn's First and Auburn's Favorite Sports Talk Show. And again, we apologize specifically to Anthony, who we were talking to uh, when that phone uh, spontaneously combusted. So uh, we will not be able to take calls the rest of the way. So we will uh, get into some of the topics that we had on the docket for today, starting with the Sweet 16, starting tonight, the men's basketball tournament uh, resuming with four games, this is these two nights are the last two nights that the action kind of overlaps, and you have multiple games on at the same time because you got four games a night the next two nights. But then Saturday and Sunday, you only have two games a night, and they stagger them. So this is like your last opportunity to get the two TVs set up working, and uh, you have a backup plan if one game is not going as close. So let's tell you about the matchups tonight. Uh, they are four. We alluded to the close proximity of, of lines, betting lines for these games. Michigan State, seven-seeded. They'll take on three-seeded Kansas State. Eight-seeded Arkansas off the big upset against Kansas, taking out the reigning national champs. They will play four-seeded UConn. Nine-seeded Florida Atlantic, uh, who did not have to get through a one seed. They got through fairly Dickinson in the round of 32 after beating Memphis in the first round. They will play the Tennessee Volunteers, who took down one of the hottest teams in the country, the Duke Blue Devils. That one is an 8 o'clock tip tonight. And then three-seeded Gonzaga, two-seeded UCLA, probably the highest quality game overall tonight. Not that they... It might not end up being the closest. It might it might not be the most entertaining. We we will only we'll find out soon enough. Uh, but just in terms of highest ranked teams, probably biggest scope of talent and biggest expectations, Gonzaga and UCLA should be a really good one. Rematch of a Final Four game from a couple of years ago when Jalen Suggs uh, hit that uh, that long bank shot uh, at the buzzer. Uh, to send Gonzaga to the national title game. So good stuff tonight. Uh, Michigan State and Kansas State first, though. Uh, these two teams um, flying under the radar for different reasons. Kansas State, because the Big 12 has kind of been run by Kansas and then in Texas uh, to some degree this year. And there's just a lot of teams that kind of get lost in the shuffle. And then Michigan State, uh, everyone certainly respects Tom Izzo. In the month of March, he has done a wonderful job with the Spartans for a very long time. But as a seven seed, seven seeds uh, notably not pro- usually projected to get to the Sweet 16. Uh, but Michigan State was able to beat two-seeded Marquette, a team I really liked, thought they were quite good. Um, a team with Shaka Smart that Shaka Smart's having woeful tournament success has not been past the round of 32 since he was at Virginia Commonwealth. Uh, he was at Texas for a long time, so that's that's not a good stat there for him. Uh, and so Michigan State able to get there. Michigan State, Kansas State. Did either of you guys, we'll start with this, did either of you guys have this matchup? Did you have these teams? Uh, what are your thoughts on, on these two so far in the tournament? Let me look at my bracket because I don't think I had either of these two teams. But... Kansas State beat Kentucky in the round of 32 for those for those one Kansas State. No, no, I did not have this one. Um, yeah, I had Kentucky and Marquette 
uh, in this matchup. Right. So I'm 0 for 2. Uh, yeah, I, I think the thing that's most interesting for Auburn fans, so me specifically, uh, is going to be looking at Desi Sills at Kansas State and going, that guy was committed to Auburn at one point. And that's that's the storyline. And like you said, Tom Izzo, mm-hmm. who's been doing it and doing it at a high level for a very, very long time. Uh, so that one's uh, an also interesting factor. Uh, Brooks, yeah. you like Tom in- uh, Tom Izzo in March? Yeah. He, he, I mean, he's proven it over and over again that he can win basketball games in, this month, in the month of March. Um, I... It actually, uh, didn't also did not have this matchup in in my bracket. I want to pull up the uh, make sure uh, pull up the uh, well. I pulled up the one that I entered into our sports call tournament group. I did have Kansas State making it this far, but I I did have Marquette making it right. here. Uh, I had m- m- uh, Michigan State losing to Marquette in the last round, and um, yeah, so I, I had Kansas State making it this far. I, I thought that they could be. They were a top ten team at one point this year, weren't they? Like they they K-State, made an appearance. I mean, I mean, well, as a three seed, you're valued as between the ninth yeah. and twelfth best team in the country. So even today, yes, I think they 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 made. I think it was after they upset. Um, was it Kansas? They upset at home. Uh, I I think so yeah. when they they stormed the court. Um, they made an appearance in the top ten, and you know now in the in the Sweet Sixteen, went away from the Elite Eight. I like their 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 brand of basketball. You know, they they competed well in the Big Twelve this year. There's you know there's something that uh, you know, logical Brooks says that Kansas State wins this basketball game because Michigan State. I you know I, it is the Tom Izzo effect gets and you know gets them to uh, got them to this point, but I just don't know you know that they Michigan State kind of struggled this year a little bit, and so part of me you know the, the logical Brooks says Kansas State gets through. But the March Madness Brooks says that Michigan State continues their role, gets to the gets to the Elite Eight with this one because, like Tom Izzo knows how to win basketball games in March, and that's why you know there there's been some lean years for Michigan State where they haven't been as good as and as dominant as they you know as we typically look at them under Tom Izzo, but they they've kept him around at Michigan State for a reason, and he can win basketball games, and he, they're in in a, in a position they're two wins away from a Final Four appearance. Uh, of other note for uh, Kansas State, if, if people are trying to follow uh, the Wildcats a little bit, uh, you might remember their best player, arguably their best player, Noel's really good too. But but one of their one A and one B for them is Noel, and then Keontae Johnson. Keontae Johnson is who uh, was the Florida Gator that collapsed on the court, very scary situation, had to sit out a year due to health concerns, uh, and he ended up transferring to Kansas State, seventeen and a half points a game. Uh, for the Wildcats, he returned to form, uh, and, and that's been so wonderful to see. So he's a great story. Uh, for those wondering about Desi Seals, how much you would have missed him, Auburn, I, I although he's a quality player and he was good at Arkansas, uh, he would not have really helped what the Tigers needed help with this year. Desi Seals has shot, wait for it, 21.9% from three uh, this year. Uh, that is not good uh, at all. Uh, he is still valuable for them. Averages nine points a game, their fourth leading scorer, but, and he will play a lot. But Kansas State with a few more SEC ties, uh, maybe for those reasons. And so they'll take on Michigan State tonight. Kansas State is favored by one. That game is starting in about 18 minutes, and we will start to not yell at the TV, but we will certainly start to uh, get distracted by the TV in a matter of moments. The second game up tonight, 6-15 on CBS. Also, remind me, guys, I have a broadcasting you know what? Should I do this right now? I'm going to be scatterbrained right now. Should do I it. go ahead and bring up the broadcasting part? Do it. I think he's still traveling with, with Alabama and, and that regional. Uh, but 
Did you guys remember and know that, that this is Jim Nance's last NCAA tournament? I had forgotten I until they started about talking about it uh, again. I, I saw, I remember seeing it when it when they, it was announced, right? And I think our immediate reaction in the office was, it needs to be Iron Eagle. Yep. Um, and then I forgot about it mm-hmm. and then didn't remember it until they, they started bringing it up at the um, at this past weekend's mm-hmm. regional uh, up in Birmingham because you were getting the fact that he was getting to call two one seeds at the same uh, at the same location. Mm-hmm. It, uh, so this is his last tournament. For those that did not know, uh, he's in his early sixties, and he just felt like because yeah, I, I was reading something on this this morning, he just felt like he needed to cut something out at this time. Needed a little bit more family time, a little less responsibility. Uh, he just refuses to give up the NFL. It's obviously such a big deal. He's got more Super Bowls to call. Uh, and then golf is just something that he really loves. He's always loved the game, loves the Masters, that sort of thing. Uh, Not really and, taxing on the voice. Right. Calm, more of a calming presence. And he just loves the game of golf. So he's cutting out the NCAA tournament. And they did announce, and the other article I saw, which was back in October when it was announced, is that Ian Eagle will take over for Jim Nance and Ian Eagle will become the the voice of the final four. And uh, I, I think that's just absolutely the right call. Oh yeah. Especially because yeah. the, the only other person on that broadcasting on the Turner broadcasting spectrum that mm-hmm. I would, I would say needs to, could be in consideration is Kevin Harlan, but Kevin Harlan's got such a dedication to the NBA, right. especially, you know, like I think TNT may already be out of the rotation now. I think it may with the, with the um, games, it may just be CBS. It, yeah, it's all CBS and CBS. Yeah. So he's already back with NBA stuff. And so it, it's, it, you know, it, it he is an NBA guy. Uh, Iron Eagle is de- you know obviously the voice uh, the TV voice for the Brooklyn Nets, but still you you know when you think about March Madness, you you think about Jim Nance and then you think about Ian Eagle as the next person up. Now I will say just because it's not on TNT, uh, it doesn't mean uh, Kevin Harlan I believe is still in the rotation. Uh, he's still one of their top uh, announcers. It does not have to be on TNT True. Uh, for him to be on. But um, you know I think with the consideration here was since. Harlan for Turner is already the lead TNT guy, which is something when Marv Albert retired, I, I really wanted uh, to, to be the case. I wanted Kevin Harlan to get that. Um, once he uh, went there and, and he does that, you then look at, okay, their number two at, T, at Turner for basketball is usually Brian Anderson. And then if you think about early playoff series, you usually do hear Ian Eagle. But Ian Eagle is like – he he does everything, but he's not number one in in, in anything. He is uh, he is the number two. I think he's the number two CBS football. Uh, I think if you're thinking if yeah. you're watching playoffs and CBS has two games in the early rounds, e- Eagle does the other one. He does this NCAA tournament. Yep. He he's the Brooklyn Nets lead guy, and then he uh, does this with, with Turner for the NCAA tournament. So. He is, to my opinion, he's too good not to be number one in something. And if you also think about it, in the in the sphere of Viacom CBS, their whole broadcast, Jim Nance is the number one football guy. Harlan's number one NBA guy. Brian Anderson is their number one baseball guy now when it comes to October. And now you you go to college basketball, which now will be would be Ian Eagle next year. So their top four guys yep. are now all going to be a number one on That's one of their awesome. four big yeah. sports. Uh, so, and just to clarify to um, the announcers tonight, Kevin Harlan is doing uh, a set of games tonight. He, they've got 
Harlan and Dan Bonner have that UConn-Arkansas game, which we're about to talk about. And then they've also got that big UCLA-Gonzaga game. And then uh, Brian Anderson and Jim Jackson are on the other two set of games. And then you'll have Nance um, do two tomorrow. Probably and, the Alabama series because yeah. they're more overall. And I think would the four, uh, would the other one be – oh, the other one would be Ian Eagle. So, yeah, Ian Eagle and Nance are going tomorrow. So th- I'm just saying for, for such a, a huge tournament to get so many good people – and not have really yeah. any duds. Uh, they do a great job with the announcement, and I am excited about Ian Eagle there. And having two pretty big voices leave big roles in recent years and then, then be filled exactly the way I hoped is very very pleasing. I'm very excited about that. But so on to the second game, then we'll take a break. Arkansas and UConn. Uh, this one interests me a lot. UConn's favored by four. Arkansas all year long. We've talked about it. When are they going to get it going? Big expectations. A lot of recruits few injuries, but uh, certainly a lot of talent. They never got it going, even really in the, in the SEC tournament. Yes, they beat Auburn, but they immediately lost their next game. And it was now or never, and Arkansas finally put something together. And they they knocked out Kansas, still one of the title favorites. Uh, it seems like it's been pretty typical that the reigning national champ has lost, like round of 32-ish the next year. I remember when Villanova did that uh, after their second title. Uh, and, and Baylor did that last year. Uh, they had won that Gonzaga title, then they lost as a one seed last year to Carolina. The, the round of 32 just victimizes reigning national champs, it feels like, and it victimized Kansas. On the other side of things, you've got UConn. I like UConn a lot. Uh, I, I, not that I'm some year-round UConn Husky guy. I don't want to be president of the fan club, but I had them in my title game, so I value them greatly. So I'm interested by this. Uh, four versus eight. Uh, again, the eight getting through. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts on this one? Yeah, I had UConn getting this far. I did not have Arkansas getting this far. I had Kansas coming down the, the tracks. Um, I, I think that UConn is a really good good team. You watched them. You know, if you, you watch Big East basketball all year. The two the two biggest uh, the the two best teams in that conference were Marquette and UConn. And UConn came out very, very strong in the early part. They were a team that went down, and you know I think we talked about it last week. They went on the road, and I know it wasn't this wasn't the you know same caliber of team that we've seen them in the past. But they went on the road and beat a Florida team in in the swamp, which is a very hard thing to do, no matter how talented or uh, or not that team is. Um, Marquette was also a really, really good uh, basketball team this year in the Big East. I think UConn's got a chance to to make it to the Final Four out of this region. Because you know you put them up against UCLA, who is uh, it, it's still a very good basketball team, but lost one of their leading scores right before the tournament got started. And Gonzaga, who seems like they're hitting a stride here, uh, and it seemed like they were hitting a stride late in the season, but still, when you get to into the tournament, and I, I hate it because I I really I'm not a I'm going to be in the same boat as what you just said about UConn is I don't you know I, I'm not going to be championing the fan club for Gonzaga in the Auburn area. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not rooting for Gonzaga every week, but I want to see Mark Few get get a title. I want to see him finally do it. And I, it's it's just you you get there and he just hits a wall as soon as he gets that final four, gets that national championship game, they hit a wall. And so I, I think UConn it could be a team that that is that wall for Gonzaga because I think Gonzaga can get past UCLA um, in that in that second game, but I think UConn. Uh, it is the is the uh, is the team that can block them? Arkansas, on the other side of things, they just won a very emotional game. Eric Musselman ripped his shirt off again. Yeah. You know the the world saw 
bare chested Eric Musselman for the second time Which in consecutive years. Uh, and it, when you get a highly emotional game like that, you've got to then come back down to earth and say, hey, we, you know, we got to do it again. With a team like UConn going up against them, I don't know if they can do it again. I, I think that this may be the, the, the run for Arkansas may have run its course tonight. Yeah, it's really weird. I look at my bracket, and this, this region I picked almost perfectly to this point. The only game I've gotten wrong was uh, I picked Boise State over Northwestern. Uh, but okay. other than that, like I, I've kind of run the table here. So I do have Arkansas versus UConn, and I'm, I didn't know I was doing that well, but I'm pretty proud of it now that I'm looking at it. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I've talked about it before. I don't really watch college basketball as much as a lot of other people do. Um, I think these are both two really good teams. Obviously, Arkansas, uh, they got fully healthy, and they've started kind of going on a run here. Uh, and they've played a lot better uh, in the NCAA tournament than they did during the regular season uh, or in the SEC tournament, like you touched on, Ryan. Um, but I think UConn overall is the better team, uh, and I think they're going to come away with the win. Uh, I, I Credit to Eric Musselman, though. This is, what, his third straight Sweet 16 yeah. with Arkansas? So say what you want about him. He's a pretty good basketball coach. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, he's – He's clearly proven his acumen. Um, you know that obviously for all of us that doesn't mean we have to like like the dude, but uh, we certainly understand he's done a good job. And I, I in general am uh, an agent of chaos when it comes to the tournament. I'm all about the upsets, and so originally I was kind of happy Arkansas beat Kansas because I'm like, oh, the one losing the round of 32. That's always such a big deal. It's so early for them. Uh, and then I saw him take a shirt. I was like, oh. Sh- you know, shouldn't have done that. You know, that's just a regrettable on my part. I'll I'll take blame. But I look forward to this game because both these teams, by seeding, would not have been favored to get as far as they have the opportunity to get tonight when one of them's going to make the Elite Eight. But despite the number, either team is dangerous to me. Again, you know how I feel about UConn, but even Arkansas. If you can beat Kansas and then you can follow it up with a win against UConn, no disrespect to some of the true Cinderellas of years past, like a Loyola, a Chicago, a VCU, a Butler, whoever, Arkansas has got real formidable talent. And so if they can prove they can put that together in two separate weekends, you shouldn't look at them as some back, you know, outside the top 25 team that isn't that good and isn't that robust. That They can change it very quickly and so I think that this is going to set up to be two really good games in that region tonight and it's going to set up to be a really good Elite Eight game the other thing about Arkansas UConn as we go to break this is going to be a physical basketball game Adama Sanogo is the best player for UConn averages 17-18 a game he's a big guy how did UConn beat Alabama early in the season they kind of beat him up a little bit inside uh, they got to the rim a lot. That's not something that Alabama usually allows. Alabama's defense has, has gotten really solid. They've got a bunch of big guys. But UConn kind of surprised them with the physicality part of it. And so Arkansas is a team also that they don't play very perimeter-oriented. Sure, they have a lot of good guards, but those guards try to get inside. They don't like to stay outside and, and jack up a bunch of threes. They're not very good at that. They want to draw fouls. They want to be physical and get downhill. So this game could be a very physical game. Could be chippy. I always mention that word with Arkansas, and there could be a lot of fouls. I always mention that with Arkansas. Uh, and so I'm really looking forward to that game tonight. We need to take our first time out of hour number three. On the other side, we'll preview the other two Sweet 16 games as this Thursday edition of Sports Call continues right after this.
Do you want to join our conversation? Tweet us your thoughts on Twitter at SportsCallAU. We're done paying the bills. Now back to Sports Call on Tiger Welcome back to Sports Call here at Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. Today is World Bear Day, according to Brooks Monroe Childress. Go Robert Stale. Uh, he is a proud Robert Stale bear. Uh, bears are something that are fun mascots and not something fun for you to encounter in the wild. They well, are adorable until they start eating your face. I mean, they don't do that unless you provoke them or go after their cubs. I don't. Not in don't cocaine think, bear. I don't no, know. true, <laughs> true. I don't should know if that's go, true. Should we have a class field trip to go see cocaine bear because it is World Bear Day? Uh, it's still playing in theaters, I and don't. it was enjoyable. It is not going to win an Oscar, although they did put the bear. They had someone in a bear costume at the Oscars a couple weeks ago, so they were very well, well aware that that's a movie that was made. Uh, they are the Oscars is aware that this movie was made. Right. Do you think the Academy has ever gone like I've never heard of that one? Yeah, <laughs> I think they they probably have, but it was like you know they they said you know it's like hey Sharknado's here. Oh, we've we've never heard of that yeah, one. Sending that to the Rams. You've got to use the transatlantic <laughs> accent. Oh, I'm sorry. Never heard we've, of this. We've one. never heard of that one. I'm oh, sorry. What is a Sharknado? Well, I regret mentioning. This Robert. is why we need calls, <laughs> but we can't have them. Not right now. Yeah. Uh, again, we apologize that our our phone line is down for the remainder of the show. Um, I think Brant sabotage te- technical says it, the it one that stu- answered the phone. I was phone. about to say it, it broke when you started fiddling. <laughs> um, I didn't. It wasn't fiddling. It was answering the phone. Yeah, yeah so fiddling. <laughs> we uh, we will try and get those resolved tomorrow morning when we first thing we come in the office, and we hope to be able to take more of your phone calls tomorrow. Again, we apologize that that. Uh, happened in the middle of today's show. Couple you ever tried mo- to fiddle? Oh, boy. couple more. <laughs> I'm not, but I know somebody who can play the violin. But that's not the fiddle. It's a different thing. The only difference between a, fi- a violin and a fiddle is how much you're getting paid. Well, that's not accurate. I have no comments for that conversation whatsoever. Uh, do you care to talk basketball, or do you want the last 15 or so minutes just to... Just to be weird. Musical well, instruments. we could, I mean, I don't think we I have. Al- I always want the show to be weird because it's more fun because we talk about we talk about sports every day. Right. So, like, you get an opportunity to talk about not sports. Like, I understand that's the appeal of the show. And we have to get back to that at some point. But it is always fun just to talk about weird sure. stuff. I feel like we don't have the devil went down to Georgia in our system, and so I guess we should talk basketball. Well, you know, it is Surely national. Surely that's on a high key somewhere. So, you said National Bear Day. Uh, yeah. So, you like the UCL, UCLA Bruins tonight? No. Whoa. No. No, I don't. You, you, you like Gonzaga tonight. I, I do. I think Gonzaga wins it. I think Gonzaga does uh, goes through and wins it. I, I just I, – I, I like that they got hot. And like I said in the last segment, we were talking about UConn. I think UConn is the team that's going to derail Gonzaga's run uh, here in the tournament. But I – like UCLA is is a good basketball team. We've seen that in this tournament. They they beat a 
you know, that beat a Northwestern team 68 to 63, and then they, they took care of business against UNC Asheville 86 to 53. But they did lose one of their top scorers right before the, the, the postseason got started. Um, and so I, I think Gonzaga, with, with the, the leadership of Drew Timmy uh, and Mark Few, I think can get, get to that Elite Eight, but I just don't think they get past that. I think if UConn gets there, I think UConn is the team that's going to derail them there. Um, I think it's going to be a really close game. I think UCLA wins. I, the the thing is, is there's gonna there's so much. I mean, I guess not so much talk, but there's talk. You know, oh, this is the rematch. UCLA can get get revenge. That usually never, not never, but usually doesn't materialize that as often as you think it does. Where the team gets revenge because it there is a lot of the components that are on this team that were there. Uh, I'd say the majority of them are still there, but it's 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 still it's a different. This is you know a couple years later. And there's not the there's there's not the revenge factor. You've had you've had a couple years to sit on things. There are a a couple of key players on both teams that were on those final four teams. Uh, Jamie Jaquez, um, who is averaging almost 18 points a game for UCLA. Uh, Tiger Campbell, who's been the point guard for UCLA for a few years. Obviously, Drew Timmy's been at Gonzaga since I was born. So, uh, <laughs> Timmy is was was a part of that team. He's like forty three now, isn't he? Yeah, uh, he's he's getting up there. Um, think about a retirement home for him. But I, I I think that you know I had in the bracket Gonzaga too. I thought the Jalen Clark injury would be relevant. Both these teams are experienced, though. You know, th- this is why it's probably the 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 flat out best matchup of the night and highest quality game because both these teams are. Elite eight, almost final four good. I mean, th- th- they didn't have to have some big upset to get here. They were supposed to be in the Sweet 16. And so both these teams are of good quality. And UCLA is favored by just a point. It's going to be interesting to see. Um, Drew Timmy. Drew Timmy talked about the pressure of making sure Gonzaga made the Sweet 16. You know, they were testing the round of 32. I forget the set. I hesitate to even bring it up. But Gonzaga has been to the Sweet 16 like eight or nine straight years, something something like that, which is low-key a very long streak. They When they got to the title game in 17 and lost to North Carolina, even though they lost, they finally got past the perception that they couldn't get there. They had had a lot of one, two, three-seeded teams that had been crapping out round of 32 Sweet 16. They, even the, the famous Adam Morrison team did not go as far as it could have gone. And so that got rid of that perception. And since then, they've had a couple of other really good teams that got really deep, but they still don't have that tile that Brooks was alluding to. Uh, and, and so that's going to be the last feather in the cap. Can they actually complete the full thing? Now, they, their years of being underdogs, no pun intended, or, or, or Cinderella – are, are way gone, way gone. They, they died maybe a decade ago. I mean, they are a legit program. They just play in a small conference. Um, but, but nevertheless, you know, they have had so many great teams that have not won a title yet. So they, they want to and they need to check that box to take their program to the next level one of these years. I do think they'll beat UCLA tonight, but I think it's going to be uh, a bear fight, and it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a close one. 
A cocaine uh, bear fight? Uh, maybe. Uh, maybe. I, I hope there's far less death. So, <laughs> far less death. Uh, and then the other one tonight, we'll start with you this time, Brant. Uh, this game is actually going to be prior to the UCLA-Gonzaga game. We went ahead and skipped ahead. But Florida Atlantic and Tennessee. Uh, Florida Atlantic, kind of the beneficiary. Uh, Fairleigh Dickinson's massive upset over Purdue. Uh, FAU and Fairleigh Dixon was a quality game. Uh, Fairleigh Dixon did not lay over. They they led that game at times in the second half, but FAU finally pulled away in the last moments. Uh, questionable decision at the end of the game to try a big-time dunk up, what, eight with four seconds left, but college kids are college kids sometimes. Meanwhile, Tennessee uh, with a – again, I not <laughs> not certainly not as surprising as Fairleigh Dickinson, but – uh, a pretty surprising win in that it came against a team that a lot of people had going very deep. I, I admittedly had Duke in the Final Four. Um, I'm happy they're not there. But, again, I thought highly of the job that they had done in the last three weeks. And then Tennessee, post-Zakai uh, Ziegler, they, they, they were already starting to leak a little bit with him. They'd lost a few games, and then they – the faucet didn't, certainly didn't turn off after he got injured, and I wasn't very high on them, and yet they just they whipped up on Duke physically. I mean, it was it was very impressive. So Tennessee and FAU tonight, Brant. Uh, what what do you think? What do you see in this game? Did did you have Tennessee beating Duke or anything like that? Are these both surprises for you? Uh, no, I, I had Duke in the Final Four yeah. just like you did. I, I thought the run that they had been on was super impressive, and I thought that. You know, they were getting hot at the right time, quote-unquote. I also thought that Tennessee under Rick Barnes has not made a lot of deep NCAA tournament runs. They right. usually get bounced in the first or second round um, uh, under Scott Bar- or Rick Barnes. So the fact that they made it this far is commendable. Um, I, I think that well, – I, I have no idea, honestly. I don't know yeah. who's going to win this game. I, I haven't watched enough. Like you pointed out, I, I would look at the injury to Zakai Ziegler and go – well, because of that, they're probably not going to have a ton of success. But you look at what they've done, and by golly, they continue to win, even without him. So without their best player, they still got on a run here. Uh, I, I'm still going to say they lose in this one if I'm just forced to make a prediction. But uh, I think it should be a good game, and I, I don't know really who to predict. I'm, I'm acting like there's a gun to my head right now and making <laughs> a prediction. I don't know. I had neither of these teams here. Fair. I had a, I had this as Memphis versus Duke in this in in this bracket. I had, so you so you did have Purdue out in round thirty two. I did. I had Memf- I had Memphis beating them. I mm-hmm. thought Memphis was a really good ba- uh, basketball team throughout the year. That that and I just never had faith in Purdue. It, I, you know, you watch them all year. Yeah, they were they were good, but they I just never had faith that they were gonna you know go too far in the tournament. But I thought it was gonna be Memphis and Duke. I thought Duke was gonna get through to the Elite Eight and they get knocked out by Marquette. Marquette was gonna be a Final Four team this year. Um, but yeah, FAU, they, they were a solid team all year. They got business done in, uh, in Conference USA. They were ranked in the top 25 a couple times this year, and they, they got in, bounced out, and got back in. Uh, shout out to KT Harrell, who was uh, on that coaching staff down there in uh, Boca Raton. Bo- yeah, Boca Raton, the rat's mouth. Uh, for that's one of those those stats that it's you know like you play NCAA football on the on Xbox so much and you just cycle through all of like the different sayings that was one that I always got through was playing in uh Florida Atlantic was welcome to Florida Atlantic and Boca Raton the rat's mouth and <laughs> I just that's always right, the, the weird one that I remember anyway uh Tennessee also did a very good job getting here uh, 
you know, they they close one in that first round against Louisiana. Only won that one by what, three points. And then came out and played really well, especially in the second half versus Duke. They kind of put that game away in the second half. And, um, you know, it, it's it Duke's a good basketball team, especially, like you said, what they did those last few weeks of the season into that ACC tournament. But you, you kind of saw some of the the the, um, the the chinks in the armor during the regular season where they lost some games that you were like, well, it, you know, I'm not, you know, not to, uh, you know, say anything about it's, it's John Shire's first year. No, but, go for it. I don't care. But, you know, you're, you look at that and you say, you know, Coach K probably wouldn't have lost that game. You know, Coach K probably would have done a little bit more with this guy or, you know. But it's John Shire's first year. Also, Duke, get get a coach that you can actually, like, spell their name correctly or something. I don't know. Um, but Tennessee, getting to this far, getting to this point, you know, they, they, they've shown a lot of grit, especially, like you said, losing Zakai Ziegler um, and, and still getting to this point. I think Tennessee can possibly win this game. I, if You know, I, I think they're just a touch better um, than, than this FAU team. I, I think they win it. I think there's a chance they could pull away in the second half and get to that, that Elite Eight versus a, a Michigan State or a Kansas State. But, you know, Tennessee, at the, uh, Santiago Vescovi, he, he played a really good game against um, against Duke on, on Saturday. And so he's, uh, he's a guy that's been also – he's a guy like uh, Timmy that's been at Tennessee for about 15 years now. And it, it, it should be a fun game tonight, though. Well, what was so interesting is, you know, Vescovy did have double figures for Tennessee and played about as expected. But what really carried them was Kumwa, who had 27 on 10 of 13. And Solid. that is just not going to happen every day. And one could look at that and they could make the argument that that was fluky and that that won't happen again. And I'm going to be very fascinated to see what what point total Ford Atlantic scores? I, I know we just had the element there to Tennessee having kind of a fluky 26, 27-point game there. But Florida Atlantic is an incredibly balanced team scoring-wise. I mean, they have – and I got to watch them uh, three times this year in Conference Tuesday. They average about 79 a game, which is really good. It's not elite, but, I mean, it's top 30 or 40 in the country. But this team, this Ford Atlantic team shoots 37.2% from three. They are an excellent three-point team. And yet, they have really six guys that average between seven and 13 and a half. So they have a bunch of guys that contribute. All those guys, except for one, five of their top six scorers shoot at least 34% from three. Uh, two of them shoot at least 39% from three. So they have a lot of good shooting, and they do it in waves. It's it's a several guys kind of deal. So they do it by committee. Uh, now, if you are looking for a best player, it would probably be John L. Davis. He kind of led them in the Fairleigh Dickinson game. He's the one that kind of took over a little bit in the second half. But, look, Conference USA has been uh, shockingly good in postseason play thus far. Uh, Charlotte just won the CBI that, that, that kind of the third best basketball tournament. Yeah. North Texas advanced to the final four of the NIT last night, going to Wisconsin and beating them. UAB went to Vanderbilt last night and advanced to the NIT final four. Conference USA only has one loss in the postseason play. I believe it was another CBI team, but they've got the CBI champion. They got two of four in the NIT final four, and they've got a team in the Sweet 16 here 
in Ford Atlantic. And I know that the Fairleigh Dickinson game is not something that we're just going to all lot over. But, again, they did have to beat Memphis, who a lot of people liked in the first round. And so there's been something to the validity of these top three or four teams in Conference USA being uh, better than expected. So I, I, even though Tennessee beat Duke and had this great performance, I don't think they're out of the woods. I, I don't think it's like Arkansas, where I say Arkansas might make me think they're on a different level than they were all year. Like the, They might change my opinion a matter of one or two games. One game does not change my complete opinion of Tennessee. And I know that we're in this exercise where we go one game at a time and there's only four left for the national championship game. Okay, So I understand it's got to come quick. But I still am more willing to think of Tennessee's game as a one-off performance more so than I am maybe Arkansas, who I think might have finally struck on the gold that they were portraying themselves to have all year long. So going to be interesting tonight. This K-State-Michigan State game is underway. It's 17-14 Kansas State here early. And so, um, you know, we're going to enjoy these four games tonight and, and, and certainly enjoying the rest of March Madness um and and everything it has to offer so sucks not to have um a dog in a fight per se now uh, but also it means you kind of kick your feet up and i know everybody will be you know all the auburn fans will be trying to get alabama out of there then the feet about to say that's that's my dog is whoever's Uh playing alabama right right now (laughs) uh but as far as a, a team that you love that you root for i know dogs out of the fight here but Uh, A lot of good basketball still ahead here in March. We're about out of time for the show today. Time for a nightly TV guide. Our show is about to end, but we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's nightly TV guide. Sports Call's nightly TV guide presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. Usually I'm reading this, but Brooks Childress, who puts these these together, is here with us. So, Brooks, what we got? Yeah, it's been a while since I've done this. I don't know if I'll remember to do it or remember how to do it. Um, well, we'll start things out tonight on the movie side of things. 6.30 on E-Network. It's X-Men Apocalypse, part of the X-Men saga. Great film. You ever seen X-Men Apocalypse? I have, but I've only seen it once, and it's been a while. Okay. Well, maybe you it's good. watch it tonight. It's good. I just haven't watched it. Uh, 7 o'clock on TNT. It's Beauty and the Beast, the live-action version with Emma Watson in it, starring it. Not a fan? Not a, not a fan of the live-action Disney remakes. Wow. Uh, sports for you tonight, because there's a lot of Sorry. them. Basketball, starting at 6 o'clock on CBS. UConn takes on Arkansas, 7.45 on TBS. Tennessee takes on Florida Atlantic. And 8.30 on CBS, UCLA takes on Gonzaga in your NCAA tournament action. Some NCAA hockey action, the men's to- hockey tournament going on tonight, 8 o'clock on ESPN Dose. It's Minnesota versus Canisius. Then on ESPN also at 8 o'clock, some National Hockey League action. The Penguins take on the Stars. And, of course... Auburn baseball in action coming up in just about nine minutes away from first pitch at Plainsman Park. They take on the Georgia Bulldogs in the SEC home opener, Thursday through Saturday series. Tonight's game on the SEC Network. And that's a look at your nightly TV guy brought to you by our friends at White Claw Hard Seltzer. Yeah, we were not able to get to talk on that one, but we'll certainly recap the game tomorrow on the show and preview the rest of the series. Brooks, thank you for that TV guy. Thank you for being here today. We'll see you again next week. See ya. Brant, thank you for being here today. We'll see you again tomorrow. Thank you for having me. And, uh, of course, we appreciate all those who tuned in and called in. We, we, again, apologize for the phone line difficulty. We hope to have that ironed out again uh, by tomorrow's show. For Brant Daughtry and Brooks Childress, my name is Ryan LaVoy. Have a great Thursday night. Enjoy more March Madness, and we'll talk to you tomorrow.